Tonight's election coverage on WCBT is sponsored by Fazio Insurance. Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties. Since 1953, the Fazio Insurance name has been trusted by the community to offer unparalleled service and competitive quotes to clients throughout the state of Illinois. For more information, contact Paul Fazio at 815-727-2611 or check them out on their website, fazioinsurance.com. Well, hello. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Joan Esposito, and I think, if I am not mistaken, the lovely Patty Vasquez is also on the line. Are you not, my dear? I am here, Joan. I wish we could hug. I've had a long day. We all need (laughs) a group hug. It is a psychic hug. Yes. And congratulations. I just heard you say that starting Monday, your show is not just going to be five to six. It is going to be five to seven. Actually, when you said it was going to be two hours, I was thinking, oh, thank God she's going to be on from four to six. I now can go back and fix dinner and eat at a decent time. Mais non, it was not to be. Mm, Joan, people love, I know, I know, look, I know it's a haul to do three hours and uh, I don't think people appreciate the heavy lifting that you have to do with all the, um, the, everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on politically, the wide range of issues that you address and are talking people through their own crises of politics. Uh, it takes its toll and I, and I hope that you have the opportunity to, to do a lot of self-care as everyone should on this voting day and this election Abs- day. Uh, yeah. You know what? For the last month or so, uh, when Friday comes around, I tell the audience that they have one assignment, one a thing that they must do this weekend, and that is spend a little bit of time with a person or in an activity that brings them joy. Yeah, that's got important. To. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely got to. Otherwise, you know. All sanity will be lost. Yeah. And and you have to know, I know that you have the text screen open, but there's so many folks that text in. I don't have all their names, but I know like one, Sarah, the, the dog groomer. I don't know if you get a chance to see some of her photos. And, uh-huh. and, and and folks who really do enjoy these conversations and people that I saw today at the polling places, I was campaigning for Chris Kennedy. They were just so happy to see a Democrat. Uh, you know, we aren't that great at tooting our own horn and the fact that we are here that you are here to really champion the successes and to walk people through the process is so important so it's a, it's an honor to work with you and to be here at wcpt well wcpt is lucky to have you, you. ms vasquez <sighs> lucky to have somebody in this damn station who's done some radio and knows what the heck they're doing oh stop how are you feeling today how are you i mean because I, I the last two people i've talked to have not made me feel great and i was out talking to voters all day and they made me feel better even- you know i think that especially for people who are politicos or follow this, I think it's real hard to break from the conventional wisdom that, ooh, it's the midterms, you know. And and also, too, the Republicans have been banging the drum. Oh, we're surging. It's late, but we're surging. Well, what else are they going to say? You know, they talked to Kevin McCarthy earlier today. on They had him on CNN, and he was like, oh, no, we're definitely taking back the House tonight. What is Kevin McCarthy going to say to you? And I think it's real easy easy to let that kind of stuff seep in and what i what drives me crazy 
are all the people saying, oh, well, you know, abortion doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, women were upset about that at the time. But, you know, now they really care more about gas prices. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I don't know that 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 I agree with that. I don't I don't know that that's true. I mean, just because I'm not holding a placard and marching up and down the street or taking over the federal plaza downtown doesn't mean that I have forgotten yep. that in many places my daughter doesn't have the same rights I've enjoyed virtually my entire adult life. I haven't forgotten that. Did you forget that? Buddy? I have not forgotten that. And if anything, they know it is a danger to them. Otherwise, this woman, I was campaigning for Judge uh, Chris Kennedy, who's running for the appellate court, who is endorsed by Personal PAC and Planned Parenthood. She would not have become unhinged and stalked me and taunted me and yelled at voters over my shoulder for two hours today, Joan, if they didn't also realize that it, that we have rage, we have anger, and we, we are self-righteous, in, and we are justified in that. Uh, in the harm to our liberties. And, you know, we have this new uh, CNN that has this new management, and one of the parent company's Mm. main shareholders is a very conservative guy who said, you know, I really think CNN should be more like Fox News. And I've noticed today that whenever they do a panel, they, um, they always have not just a Democrat, but they have at least one, if not two, Republicans And because obviously I have to watch it with the sound off, I've just got closed captioning. I'm not sure if the anchors, you know, have been questioning them or have been doing follow ups or challenges or anything like that. But um, CNN has been saying, oh, you know, people care about inflation. It's inflation, 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 number one issue. Well, CBS has been reporting poll results and exit poll results results all day. Guess what? By far, people are saying the number one issue is abortion. And I mean, by far. So I um, I don't know. I do not believe any of the polls. I think we've just been led astray for too long by that sort of thing. I think the only poll that matters is counting the votes. And I, I think it's we're going to be two, three days into this before we have a lot of these races decided. I agree. And, and that. that- the thing about like the even trying to say that inflation is what's making people upset, if if it really was, if they understood inflation or decided to do any research into it or understand it, would be that yes, we're at a forty-year high for inflation. We're also at a seventy-year high for corporate profits. Mm-hmm. It is price gouging that is driving so much of this, but that doesn't matter to people. They just want to have something to blame on Democrats. Yes, yep. yes, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, is Tim Hogan going to join us tonight? Is he there in the studio? He is here. And I've I, heard rumors. I've heard rumors that our executive editor is going to be uh, talking with us tonight. I, I think he can hear you. and Maybe he'll come running from his office. I know that we were busy. I feel so Tim, bad. Tim, we're on the air. I feel, Tim. I feel, Tim Hogan, you're being... Hello, Tim Hogan. Paging Tim Hogan. You are being uh, invited to the studio. Please meet us in the studio. Uh, I hate to tell you this, Joan, but we might be ordering pizza. I feel like we should send you a pizza as well to keep you going through the night well you know as soon as i jumped off my show i fixed myself um don't tell him it was the last of ray's frozen angus uh, hamburgers and uh, some frozen mashed potatoes that i found mm. on a shelf in the freezer so i you know i'm 
I'm kind of carb bloated. I'm pretty good to go. <laughs> Mashed potatoes is my go-to food. By the way, we've been informed that uh, Tim Hogan will be joining us at 6.17 is the uh, arrival time for Tim Hogan. I think that they're also going over a lot. Look, part of what he's looking at, and our, I know our news team is looking at, is not just the exit polling. They're looking at uh, what the voter turnout has been uh, and by demographic, right? Because a lot of what we were hoping for, and, and look, we can never count on any one thing, is we were hoping that younger voters would be motivated and energized to get out and vote. And that's some of the numbers I know he's been looking at uh, and, and across the country. Uh, I saw him in the hallway. Did not like his attitude, Joan. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not like his attitude about how things are looking. Um, it, it, my Look, I, I was thinking about this today. I, folks have been saying, well, at least I live in Illinois or at least I live in Chicago. So to that, our biggest races for me are going to be Mary Kay O'Brien and Elizabeth Rochford, who are running for Supreme Court. That, Without the, question. Yeah. Without question. Those are my big headline. For me, that's the big one. And then Chris Kennedy for the appellate court. And then, you know, looking at obviously Mandela Barnes will be next and Governor Evers and uh, and the uh, Secretary of State in Indiana, uh, Destiny Witt. Uh, these are these are all races, I think, that will directly impact us. But first and foremost for me is the Supreme Court in Illinois. How about yourself? Absolutely. What are you looking Abs- at? Absolutely. I think that, I mean, while you and I, of course, are huge supporters of the Workers' Rights Amendment, which is the constitutional changing measure that's yes. on the ballot. That is very important. I, if, if I've been telling listeners, if you do, if you vote for no, nothing else, no other, no other race, no other um, proposed tax, no other anything, you've got to. If you live in the second district or the third district, you must vote for Mary Kay O'Brien or Elizabeth Liz Rochford. You absolutely must. 10-year term, and and I was talking to Kelly Cassidy, who's been a big uh, women's rights supporter in the Illinois State Legislature, and I said, what happens if we lose those two Supreme Court seats? And she said, everything we have done will be for nothing, will be for nothing. She said, Republicans are already... Um, they're already putting together a court challenge, and all it will yes. take is a change in the Supreme Court, and they will go full tilt on it and try to get all of the all the things that we've passed struck down. Correct. And, I mean, this is the kind of retaliation that we're hearing at the federal level as well. You know, if we get this many seats, we are going to prosecute the Biden family. We are going to mm-hmm. push to impeach. We are going to dismiss the January 6th committee. I mean, it, it is interesting that everything that we fight for is expanding rights and helping people, helping workers make sure that they are protected at work, that they have a, a living, not just a living wage, but a thriving wage. And Republicans are all about retaliation with no answers and no solutions to anything. Yep. Hey, let's give Tim Hogan another couple of minutes because <laughs> uh, we have Greg Pallast uh, waiting to talk with us, and I'm not sure Greg can stay oh. past 6.30. Um, oh. So Greg Pallast, who uh, you all know at CPT, we helped uh, sponsor the showing of his documentary Vigilante about the way that the state of Georgia was trying to throw people off the ballot and challenge registrations. Greg Pallast, uh, joins us now uh, to talk about Georgia, where, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, the polls closed uh, about 17 minutes ago. Um, yeah, you got that right. We're still waiting for the results. If it's loud here, I'm at the new Georgia project, which is kind of the the uh, the real energy here in Georgia. The young people, they're nonpartisan, but they're the people that get the votes out, and they're mm-hmm. here with the advancements 
uh, project, which is the big voter protection team. And, um, you know, all these young people are just really excited, really amped up and, and chanting and cheering. But we have no results yet in Georgia. Um, here's my concern. Um, and thank you for uh, sponsoring Vigilante. Uh, the subtitle is Georgia's Vote Suppression Hitman. We've got a big problem down here, the return of Jim Crow in the form of a bill uh, signed by Brian Kemp, the governor, uh, in preparation for his race against Stacey Abrams because, frankly, he doesn't seem to trust the voters to make the decision about whether he should be reelected governor. So they've radically changed the laws. One of the things that we pointed out in Vigilante was that they, it's a state that now allows an unlimited number of challenges to voters not by the state, but by any other individual. So we literally have 149,000 voters, mostly voters of color, urban, that have been um, challenged in this election. Um, a lot of the challenges, most of the challenges, in fact, I think have already been thrown out by local boards, even Republicans. But it's still in, remember, Biden won the state by just 11,000 votes. So a few thousand people challenge is devastating. And there's a second uh, slippery rope to climb. The second slippery rope, uh, though I'm looking at the numbers, uh, uh, Reverend Warnock, the Democrat uh, running for re-election as senator, has 68% at the moment versus Herschel Walker's 31%. But it's so few votes. It's Mm -hmm. basically uh, city votes, which we expect Warnock to win. But the biggest single problem right now is that they virtually outlawed mail-in voting. Most people in Georgia... And overwhelmingly, the vast, vast majority of Americans, uh, excuse me, of Democrats, well, that was an interesting slip, the vast <laughs> majority of Democrats um, vote by mail or drop it in drop boxes. We've gone from, are you ready for this, 1.2 million mail-in ballots in 2020 to 0.2 million, 204,000 mail-in ballots this year. That's a loss of one million mail-in votes in Georgia. That's about a fifth of the electorate and uh, almost a third of the Democratic vote. And so Mm -hmm. we've lost a million mail-in ballots because they made it almost impossible to use drop boxes or mail in your ballot. You have to add in your ID, all kinds of things. So losing that million votes, it's going to be a heck of a climb for the Democrats to, to take this one when you have that kind of blockade on your big chunk of your voters. Uh, I'm very concerned about that. It's, you know, it's not a partisan question. Uh, that is, it's about our democracy, but it is the Republicans who have come up with this scheme. They, they vote in person. Democrats vote by mail, and they're just not allowing Democrats to vote by mail. Literally a million lost. I just think it's going to be an uphill climb. However, Herschel Walker is not exactly beloved uh, in the suburbs by women very concerned about reproductive rights. And so, you know, it basically Herschel Walker may be doomed by the Supreme Court or he may win by dint of this new Jim Crow blockade on uh, mail-in and drop box voting. They literally have locked away the drop boxes. Uh, it's just been very ugly. They've, they've cut the number of drop boxes, for example, in, in the four black counties around Atlanta, from 107 to 25, and they could only be open a few hours a day. So you can't literally, like in the evening, you can't drop off your ballot. It's been devastating to, uh, to Democratic voters.
So I'm very concerned that it's Jim Crow uh, that may win this uh, race in Georgia. But we're here. There's a lot of enthusiasm. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the vote right now, and, and we don't have much indication because it's the urban vote, and I, I'd expected that to, to uh, break for uh, Warnock and Abrams. Well, I just can't imagine Herschel Walker in the Senate. I just, that, I... I, I have no words um, to to describe what a train wreck I think he is. Well, think of, of Herschel Walker determining whether we should continue to support Ukraine or not. Um, oh. It's an interesting question. Uh, so intellectually, I'm kind of laughing, but I, I got to tell you, you know, and I've known um, Senator uh, Warnock for years because he was the, uh, the uh, minister who took over Martin Luther King's place at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. And, um, you know, it, they try to first play him as like some great black militant who's, you know, a, a bomb thrower. And, just, you know, it's very difficult because he's like the sweetest, nicest guy you could ever meet, a real intellectual. Stacey Abrams is very much the, you know, the Yale law graduate that, that she is. Uh, so it's a very, you know, two totally different types of candidates, complete extreme edges of, of American culture. Um, you know, um, so you have the urban, like here in this room, you have young black people, you have a, a huge LGBTQ community out uh, on voter protection, uh, very concerned about the Warnock-Abrams races. And, and then you go downstate and, uh, you know, when you leave Atlanta, 50 miles out of Atlanta is also 50 years back in time. It's a very, very different culture. And... Um, and that's what it is. It's a real culture war. I mean, and people remember it's open carry here. People carry guns. I'm very, you know, there's a lot of, there's an undertone of violence that I'm uh, very concerned about in this place. Wow. Um, Patty, did you want to jump in? Have any questions for Greg? I'm trying very hard to uh, keep an even uh, even keel because I, I have heard a lot of folks worrying about how this is going to turn out and, and trying to imagine what the landscape looks like if things uh, do go in the direction that uh, Republicans are pushing. And as uh, as he was talking about, was Paul was talking about, uh, you know, really directing the the type of voting uh, access that folks have across the country and, and especially in parts where people are marginalized. As it is, uh, so I'm, I, what are you? Uh, what do you? What is your sense of um, where we go? Ne- I guess I'm asking folks where we go next in the event that things go as uh, unfortunate as we think it might tonight. Well, I'm very concerned that these new Jim Crow tricks, you know, like uh, um, and by the way, my film Vigilante. Uh, care of a donation from Jamie Foxx and um, Martin Sheen, my producer, is now available free for the next couple nights at VigilanteMovie.com. And so you get a sense of what's really happening in Georgia. But what I'm concerned with is this whole gimmick where you can get where an individual, any individual, can challenge another individual's right to vote. And by the way, there have been 88 challengers who have gone after 149,000 voters, every single challenger is a Republican. And this trick is moving, according to Bloomberg, to 10 other states already. Oh, no. This attack on individual voters by self-described vote fraud hunters. And they are all to one GOP officials. Not just, you know, not just kind of right-wing nutcases. We're talking about, uh, like, uh, one guy in... um, 
in uh, Columbus, Georgia, personally challenged 4,000 people. He's the chairman of the Republican Party down there. And he included challenging the right to vote of black soldiers out of Fort Benning who were assigned out of state. Mm. For example, there's Major Gamaliel Turner, career military officer, and his vote was challenged by the by this GOP official because he was assigned to uh, a base in California, but he's a Georgia citizen. I just found another one yesterday, a soldier who was uh, who was assigned to Fort Hood, Texas, from Georgia, and they the Republicans have blocked his vote too, saying he's not really a Georgian. Well, you know, so here's the great GOP supposed to be our defenders of the military and. By the thousands, they are blocking soldiers of color who have been sent to other states by the military. I mean, if this spreads, and it is spreading as far as we know to Texas, to Arizona, to Florida, to Wisconsin, I'm very concerned about that. It's going to, you know, it, you know, it's not just a, um, you know, just a, an oddity of Georgia. This is where they test drive these Jim Crow tactics. Very concerned and. <laughs> Lady B, sorry that- about that. We have, uh, we have a little technical if- issue in the studio. We just, do we just lose Greg? Oh. Sorry about that. Uh, we were <laughs> we're shifting around stuff. Oh no! Okay, so Greg was talking about how this is spreading and these tactics are being used in other places. I, I, Joan, I think that one of the things that we'll continue to ask is, you know, we we keep reminding folks how important and scary this can be and what they can do to prevent it and how to be engaged. I, it, but it, it it feels sometimes like we're just uh, what's the what's the uh, mythological story about the guy that keeps pushing pushing the boulder up the hill? <laughs> oh yeah, right. Uh, I uh... yeah. I, I, I and you know I'd rather be I'd rather fly closer to the sun like Icarus, but I, I I'm sure my husband will message me and tell me which uh, which story is he back on is Greg back on Hey Greg I'm sorry we lost you there for a moment Go ahead continue Okay, okay. so uh, yeah like I say this this attack on mail in voting which is attack on voting uh, like I say we lost a million a million mail in ballots in uh, this uh, between 2020 and this election because they just virtually outlawed mail-in and Dropbox, uh, mail-in and Dropbox ballots in Georgia. That's devastating in the urban areas and the Democratic areas because Democrats vote by mail, Republicans vote in person. That's been the pattern for the last couple of years. And so they know what they're doing. It's, it's you know, it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the new Jim Crow. As the NAACP, the new Georgia head of NAACP, Gerald Griggs, said, uh, you know, we've gone, uh, it's the SB202, Brian Kemp's uh, voting law is really Jim Crow 2.2. And, you know, so you have a bunch of, we have lawyers fighting it, but, you know, in the end, you have to save your own vote. You have to be prepared to take action to save your own vote and be aware that this, that these games will spread from Georgia to other states. They always do. And that's why I keep coming. I'm from L.A. I keep coming back to Georgia every year for nine years because, this is ground zero in vote suppression. If you leave it up to the voters, you know, it's not whether I'm for or against Reverend Warnock, the re-election as senator. If you leave it up to the voters, he's in. But if you leave it up to these Jim Crow tactics, we don't know. And uh, I'm waiting to see how this shakes out, especially with the loss of the, with the vigilante challenges of 149,000, the loss of a million mail-in ballots. That's a pretty steep hill to climb for uh, especially for Stacey Abrams and 
for Reverend Warnock, too. Well, that's that's the worry that um, that even no matter how many t- people turn out to vote, that the playing field is so uneven that it will not make a difference. Greg, uh, thank you so much for everything that you're doing and continuing to do. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know we don't have any hard and fast results, but I'm glad to know that you're there keeping an eye on things. Uh, I'll keep an eye out for you. So go to VigilanteMovie.com. You can catch the movie free for a couple nights. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Uh, Patty Vasquez and I, by the way, Patty, Sisyphus. 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 Thank you very much. Did someone text that to you? Or did you Uh, know? No, I I actually uh, real quick Googled. (laughs) (laughs) I have quick Google fingers and I use them. Uh. Okay. uh, We are supposed to take a break now. We're going to be back with more guests. And uh, what little results there are. Just, you know, chill. It's going to be a few days. It's going to be fine. We'll be back after this. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk where facts matter. Welcome back to WCPT 820's Election Night Special with Joan Esposito and Patty Vasquez. Brought to you by Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties since 1953. We are rejoining our election night special with Jonas Pazito. I'm Patty Vasquez. Joining me in the studio now is Tim Hogan, and we're joined by Rick Smith as well in this half hour. Uh, I, I'm not in, okay. First of all, let me check in with uh, with Joan, Rick, Rick, Joan. How are, how are you feeling, Rick? Oh, oh one second. We're Tenley. I'm going to find out what kind of a country we've got. <sighs> That's one way to put it. Look, you know, the reality is is we got to count the votes. We got to. We got here in Pennsylvania, where I'm at. Uh, there will be no decisions tonight. I don't think. Uh, I, I think by Friday, maybe, because of how uh, we we do our mail-in ballots and how long it's going to take to count those in Philadelphia. And and you know, there's going to be Mastriano. I think tonight declaring victory, doing what Trump wanted to do last time. Uh, it's going to be. It's going to be interesting. I'm hoping the voters of Pennsylvania come out in overwhelming numbers, and tonight it's over. I don't think that's going to happen, though, and I don't think that's going to happen around the country. But we will see. Because still, is it November or is it just another November election cycle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rick, I want to let you know that Lee Chapman, Pennsylvania's acting Secretary of State, has said, "quote We will not have." Unofficial results in Pennsylvania on election night, and that's a fact. We're expecting at least a few days for results to be final. Yeah. Uh, But that's still not going to stop the the Mastriano crowd, because I've already had them tell me they're declaring victory. They're taking this was the exact phrase that uh, the campaign folks told me. We're taking it because it's ours. And and democracy be damned. And that's really been the campaign mantra there. Votes be damned. Voters be damned. Campaigns. It's ours. We're taking it. Uh, They're just this is the next movement. You go back to the Bush years when they they grabbed the mantle. Uh, This is who they are and and what they're I I believe what we're going to see. I really do think this is Tim Hogan, by the way, happy to join all of you with our election night coverage. I really do think, Rick, where you are right now in Pennsylvania might be a bright spot for tonight, though. I mean, I I think Josh Shapiro is in a very strong position to win there. Uh, I think John Fetterman is a very strong position to win there as well. You know, like like we've been saying, it's it's very early. Right. And there are some numbers that are coming in that are, you know, making me a little uneasy and I'll do bad news, good news. Um, I think bad news is. 
is there are numbers coming in in Florida already. Um, granted, we are about you know uh, two two thirds of votes reporting. We don't know exactly what's out, but with the way we are in Miami Dade right now, a county that Hillary Clinton won by thirty points, uh, we have both. Um, Marco Rubio and Ron DeSantis winning about fifty four forty six there right now, and that's reflective of of the state as well. Again, it's early, but that is not a number that makes me comfortable. I will say I'm going to bring bring some good news here as well. We have our first new uh, Democratic senator elected from the state of Vermont, Peter Welch. So congratulations hey. to him. And we have also Vermont, the last state to do so, the last state to do so in the union, has elected a woman to the U.S. House of Representatives <laughs> Wow! <laughs> for Congress in Becca Ballant. So wow. we did it. We did it. It's, uh, but, yeah, we, we will see how the night progresses here. No, and look, I, I have some optimism. I think Shapiro ran a good, strong campaign. I think he was a, a good candidate. Uh, right on the issues, a fighter for working people, good, good, good guy. We've had him on the show. He's, I, I think he will be a very good governor. So I, I feel a little feel a little better. I'm a little uneasy about the Fetterman camp, though. I got to be honest. You know, I I saw John at the beginning of October in Erie. Um, didn't didn't come off well. The the debate didn't come off well, and that's made some 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 voters some independents uneasy. So we're going to see how far this goes. And look. You know, I, I go back to this and I'm going, you know, I, I want the policies. I want the vote that's going to get the things that we need. Uh, I'm told John is well. Uh, anybody who knows anyone who's had a stroke knows there's some, some, some issues with communication. Doesn't mean that he's not all there. Doesn't mean that he's not going to be a great senator. Uh, but that's, that's left some people uneasy. So we're going to see how this plays out. to see if people have empathy or if, well, they're going to go the the way of the quack. That's the one that's that's got me a little uneasy. Mm-hmm. I will say I liked his line that he's going to be better in January, and Doctor Oz is still going to be a scam artist. <laughs> <laughs> truth, yep. you know, speaking truth. Uh, well, you know, I don't. I heard. I didn't see the debate, but I was reading. Uh, you know, Kara Swisher. Um, for her podcast, interviewed John Fetterman. And I didn't realize this. Maybe you guys knew this, that 10 years ago, Kara Swisher, who, of course, does the podcast for New York Magazine, she had a stroke Mm. and she was talking about her recovery. And frankly, the bottom line seemed to be, you know, I got to tell you, for the stroke this guy had, he's doing great. I mean, he's coming back so fast. He's working so hard. And she said at, at this point in time, she said, I'm perfectly fine now. But when I was like four months out like him, I was in much worse shape than he is. I don't know if anybody cares about that, but I thought it was a good testament. And it's also a comparison. I mean, you know, right here in Illinois, we had Mark Kirk as our senator after he had a stroke and he served. And, yep. you know, it is it is a very, very difficult timing situation. No question. He is in the middle of, of recovery. Um, but uh, I, I hope he pulls it out. Yeah, I do, too. I, I think it's going to be a lot closer than the Shapiro race. Now, the one for me that's uh, of some interest, because I had called it a while ago, I think I think Herschel Walker is going to win in Georgia. Uh, oh, frightening no. To me. La, 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 la. Why, Rick? I why? Like I said, you know, doing the jobs that we do, uh, he will be entertaining, if nothing else. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh. Well, look, I think one part of that, Joan, to answer your question, is uh, there was some polling on whether or not Georgians thought that Herschel Walker was extreme, right? Whether he whether he held extreme views, which he does, 
and that number came in around like 42 yes, 58 no. And I think oh. there's there's a a, a diff- there was maybe a difficulty in painting him as an arch conservative and 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 we focused on he's not competent, you know. <laughs> right. So you can be both <laughs> surprise and they go hand in hand. Often. But um I, I you know, I saw that number and I thought, "Ah, you know, that is that's a difficult thing to stomach." Oh my god. I have had some people reach out to me and say that you're we're being too hard on him. You know, he's just a regular guy, you know. Oh he's no. He's he's not a, a professional politician. And I'm going, but here's the thing, I want someone smarter than I am to be in these positions cuz these are important jobs. Uh they're making important decisions. They're they're looking down the road to the future. I want somebody who I don't know can put a sentence together. I want somebody who well can explain you know, a little bit better than, than we, we've got right now. I, I want somebody like Raphael Warnock, who I think is a brilliant guy. Uh, but what I'm afraid of, and this is where this is where this comes from, I'm afraid that people are going to look at, at Herschel Walker and the treatment that he's gotten by telling the truth and feel that he's been uh, treated too harshly. I just want to say, I think one of the worst legacies of Donald Trump, and there are many, is that he has convinced very stupid people that they should run for office. That's a good point. Well, well because he should was, by example. I think it was even worse than that. I think that the Republicans, they saw that they had an intelligent African-American man that they had to go up against. And I think they very cynically thought, well, we need a famous African-American. Oh, hey, here, this is a guy. He's a football player. Everybody knows him. They'll like him. They'll recognize his name. They'll go, gosh, I remember. He was a great football player. Mm-hmm. I'm going to vote for him. I think it was a very calculated, cynical decision. And I don't think he was vetted very well, because I think even though they're defending him, had the Republicans really vetted him, I don't think they ever would have gotten behind Herschel Walker. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We tried that here in Pennsylvania a number of years ago. Uh, they actually got Lynn Swan to run against Ed Rendell, and he took a, 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 just a thrashing. Uh, but, you know, a famous football guy, everyone knew Lynn Swan, ever remember, remembers the catches and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the voters at that time, and again, we're a very different country than we were back in, uh, what was that, 2008? Uh, we're a very different country than that was. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about now. And I do well, think I do think there's a, wrong. an aspect of this that Joan you're saying is is true. I, a lot like a, most voters are not us. I think we forget that we are on a progressive talk radio station, and our task is to reach people where they are and the people who like us. And thank you, WCPT listeners, for listening to our live election night coverage sponsored by Fazio Insurance. But at the same time, there is a whole there are, there are a whole bunch of people who do not think about politics. There are a whole bunch of people who don't make a decision in a race until the very last second. And they don't know what Herschel Walker said. They don't know what he stands for. They see his name, and they're like, oh, yeah, the football guy. And I, I think that that is the one of the tallest communications challenges that we have as a party with our brand and to reach out to people. And, I mean, there's, not, there's, no, there's no crossing that bridge of, of how important, how religious football is in so many parts of the country. I mean, like, to them, he's as important as Reverend Warnock. Right. Yeah. Great <laughs> way. The thing I say all the time, and that, that's frightening to me, is our country is is basically being run by the five percent of the population who is the least informed, least active, least engaged, uh, least educated voter out there. But they're the ones who make all the decisions because they're the ones who swing uh, swing elections one way or the other most of the time. I'm going to give you guys a blue mirage here. We talk about the mirages, right? The votes the votes are coming in, and, and uh, like is is that is it going to stay that way, or is that person going to win? So this is the caveat that I'm giving you: blue mirage. This number is going to shift. 
drastically. However, with where we are right now, 31% of the votes in, in North Carolina, Sherry Beasley is leading Ted Budd 57 to 40. Okay. All the caveats in the world. All sure. the caveats <laughs> sure. in the world. Sure, we'll take it. But I want to just, you know, we want to feel good sometimes. Hey, keep those coming, Tim. We like hearing that, you know? And we I gotta, understand that the vote's going to take a while to come in. Yes. We understand things might change, but that doesn't mean we still don't want the good news when we've got it. Let's savor it for as long as it lasts, yeah. if it's not going to last. And I don't know. I, I hope Rick is wrong. I mean, I I have to believe that even people who don't pay attention to elections, and I do realize that most people care more about their kids and their kids' sports and school and one job, maybe two jobs, getting groceries, putting dinner on the table. But I just I just think that you would have to be living in the the Arctic to not understand that Herschel Walker is literally unfit to be in the Senate. <sighs> True. Yeah, but here's the thing. I I, I know people who are going to vote for Doug Mastriano, knowing uh. knowing that uh, you know. He's going to be these are union members. These are people who carry a union card of their wallet going to vote for a guy who has pledged to make Pennsylvania a no rights at work state. Well, your state of Illinois, thank goodness for you, is moving on that workers rights. Um, and I'm hoping the good folks in Illinois are voting for that overwhelmingly because it might send a wave across the country. But I've got union members here who you know, they just they're they're on the uh, on the the, the the Mastriano bus, if you will, even though it means. Uh, that their job could be in peril. Why, Rick? That's the question, isn't it? Um, you know, and I've had people say, "Well, you know, he's you know he's, he's not a, the same Trump stuff. Uh, he's he's a more extreme version of Trump. You know, he's gonna you know he's gonna put those people in Washington in their place and in Harrisburg in their place. And you know, he's you know, all of that kind of rhetoric that angry people throw out. And look, the reality is is. We're an angry country right now. The working class of this country is angry. And I think the one thing, and this is what I've been saying for a while, the one thing that Trump did show us is that the working class is angry. And Democrats didn't listen. And in fact, we're we're party to a lot of what made people angry. And the sad reality is, is they're expressing this anger in the worst ways possible. Going after people who are just going to make things worse. And... My fear again is that this this anger misdirected is going to cause even more harm and anger, and we just spiral. Uh, now, here's the thing: you know, maybe women are going to save us. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping women come out in huge numbers because they keep telling me this is Rovember. Uh, we will see. All right, all right. You guys want a uh, a brain twister? A, I, I, have a, I have a brain twister of results here. This is uh, in Kentucky. So oh. with 10% of the expected vote reporting, the no vote on Kentucky's ballot amendment, which would clarify that there is no right to an abortion in the state constitution, is at 58%, and the yes vote is at 42%. Y- yes, there is no right to an abortion, or no, there is no <laughs> so right that to is, an abortion. So that is good news wrapped in a riddle there a little bit. It is the uh, uh, abortion rights side that is ahead. Oh, wow. So with that is, again, 10% of the vote is in. We will keep an eye on it. <laughs> but I, that is, you know, to, to Rick's point about uh, Rovember, there also are state ballot measures that we need to watch where we are talking about codifying those rights in state constitutions. The big ones are Michigan and Vermont uh, and California. Those are proactive ballot measure states. And then the states where we have to, you know, beat back a challenge is Montana and Kentucky. And I think with what we're seeing here... 
again, what we saw in Kansas was was very optimistic, uh, uh, made me very optimistic. The question is, like, will that help Democrats? Or is this an issue that we are having trouble mobilizing our base to go vote for representatives who will protect this at the federal level instead of just putting it on the ballot and protecting it that way? It's complicated. There's I, I don't know that you can entirely untwist it, but I think that is a huge question for us, given the Dobbs decision this summer. Well, I agree with Michael Moore. I think that even though they're not taken to the streets, I think that women haven't forgotten about Roe v. Wade. And to Rick's point, you know, maybe women will save us, particularly young women. Uh, I've said this on the show before. You know, I grew up in when I was in high school, I had high school friends and people who were a few years older than me who were being drafted off to Vietnam. And Vietnam was a big deal for us. It affected us, our lives, our friends. And then, you know, that's when the protest started and people taken to the streets. You know, I don't think that my generation would have been as politically motivated if there wasn't something that was so personal. And I think it's possible Roe v. Wade is that for the current young generation. I guess we'll see. And we'll see if they showed up to vote. You know, you know I, I'm hoping, again, I keep coming back to this because, you know, I look at Kansas and Kansas, that, that election result gives me hope because the polls were way off by like 20 points. Uh, so the hope is, is that, yeah, women do come out. But my, my concern is, is I haven't seen it personally. When we were on our month-long trip, we talked to women in multiple states. Across, this, you know, was something they talked about, but it wasn't that kind of anger that I would have expected. Uh, everyone that I spoke to was like, hey, we'll figure it out. We'll, there will always be a workaround. And I guess that's a good thing because women feel empowered that they've got, they can control their own destiny, even if, well, this may not give them that ability. Uh, but, but again, we'll see. And the other thing is, you know, we were also hoping, uh, Tim was telling me some numbers earlier about uh, turnout in different parts of the country. Uh, You know, we keep, for years it feels like we keep saying we need younger voters to turn out. And I was telling Tim, I was at a polling place today in Lake County, and I would say it was 70% people who were over 40 years old. And whether or not they've voted early or mailed them in, we still need to, you know, when I was a kid, I was 18 when Rock the Vote started, when they were driving. I mean, Rock the Vote was huge. It was mm-hmm. MTV. It was uh, making voting cool. And of course, we had Bill Clinton who was uh, getting out there. And I remember John Cusack speaking at the University of Illinois. And I, I don't, I mean, we were trying everything, right? We've got TikTok. We've got uh, Facebook. We're trying to energize voters getting on campuses. I just don't see anything really compelling young voters to get out there and have their voices heard. What do you guys think about that? I guess my, my take on that is, you know, it's maybe it's a brand problem, but we just had a president who tried to cancel twenty thousand dollars worth of student debt. Yeah, you know, and, and maybe that doesn't speak to every young voter, but come on. I, and that, I look, I I I feel like on election night, and I'm not saying you just said this, but on election night, there are a lot of Democrats who will just say, "Ah, we screwed this up. We did this wrong. This was bad," and it's very easy to do that when you lose. Um, I think, in addition, depending how this night go, goes, we do have to do some soul searching. But we, 
the, the Biden administration accomplished so much. Yeah. So much. And, and it is, in, it is indicative to us that we can't just be like, well, do you not appreciate that we passed the Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act? What are you, yeah. what are you mad that the CHIPS Act passed? No one, you know, and so there's, there's, it's, it's so much more complicated than that, but it is, you know, it can't, it can't always just be that good policy. It's a brand issue and that goes beyond policy. And I, I will caveat my statement and just, and just bookend it with, it's also a pendulum. There's a good chance we get hit in the face with a pendulum tonight that's swinging the other way because Democrats have the White House and Congress, and that is an unsatisfying answer and place to be, but that might be the truth. Well, let me make let me put a silver lining to that because as you well know, history says you got a president who has both houses, he's probably gonna lose them both, but at the very least he'll lose one. And look at how competitive this is. Yes. Look at how many races are going to be down to the wire. Even if in the final analysis we fall a little bit short, we did great. We did better than anybody expected. Yep. One thing I'm just going to so on your optimism, Joan, I'm going to do you. one more zoom in here on some results. Again, caveat of all caveats, but let's just look at some numbers. So what we, what we thought early in the night is that the Virginia congressional districts, we're going to get numbers there first and we're going to see how we're feeling. Three districts there, Virginia 2, Virginia 7, Virginia 10. We're, we're probably going to lose Virginia 2. Virginia 10, we should win, hopefully. Virginia 7, which is Abigail Spanberger's district, is a swing district. So we should really care about what's happening there right now. There is uh, 38% of the expected vote reporting. Let me give you the bad news. Abigail Spanberger is losing 39 to 61. Oh, my gosh. Let me give you the very good news. Zoom in a little bit and figure out where these votes are coming from. In central Virginia, there is a county called Culpeper County. That is a place where we would expect to see a relative 50-50 distinction in the district if those voters are performing how we expect them to perform. 94% of Culpeper County is reporting, and it looks like uh, it is fairly close. So, you know, we would think that uh, we're actually doing we're doing okay. So I I I, I want to keep like the the lid on that there's it's still competitive right it's it's one district in one county in Virginia but I feel decent about that we'll take some decent news yeah. <laughs> hell yes yes please we need more Thank of that you. we need more obviously polls are just closing on the have closed on the East Coast polls will close in Illinois in about five minutes uh, folks by the way if you happen to have your headphones in you're listening to us if you are in line at seven o'clock stay in line do not let anyone tell you that you will not be able to vote because as long as you're in line by seven o'clock you can vote yes um, and the ACLU put out a really nice guide uh, for all kinds of things about what you can do and what you can't do and what people can ask you to do and what they can't do. The ACLU also has put out several different phone numbers. If you have questions or you if you have a problem at a polling place, um, I tweeted out there's like four different phone numbers, depending upon what language you speak. Um, it's in my it's in my Twitter feed at Joan Esposito CHI. If you have your phone handy and you're at a polling place and you see a problem or you have a question, scroll through and there will be a phone number for you that the ACLU will be answering right now. 
Excellent. How's it going by over by you, Rick? Everything? Uh, any any news on, on your end? Do well, we we're still waiting for the three minutes to our polls close, and then there's <laughs> still the one the one county up north of me. Uh, uh, I think it's Luzerne County. That's going to be the polls will be open till till ten o'clock. Really? Uh, because because of well, there was a, there was a shortage of ballots that were able to be printed because paper shortage, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, Luzerne County. It's going to be open till ten, uh, so that they can, so people can vote. Now, this again will be one of those things that you know is going to be litigated. There's going to be lawsuits. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Fox News, I'm sure, is out there going hair on fire. Democrats are cheating because this is this is going to be the narrative. You, you understand that? Well, they already told us that. I mean, Carrie Lake already said that um, that they should uh, they should not count any ballots past today. I mean, hello. Like no, those mail-in ballots that didn't get that. No, no. Let's just count. Let's just count whoever votes today, and then we'll be done. And I win. I win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the election deniers out there, and there there are a ton of them running. I, I think there were like seventy-three, I guess, or more than that. Um, if they win, are they going to deny the election? <laughs> I know. I know. That's the question. Of course not. <laughs> That's because they won fair and square. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a cheat. Yeah. That's right. Yep, and they've and they've they've said that. I mean, Carrie Lake was asked, um, "Will you accept the results of the election?" And she said, "Well, if I win, yes. If I don't, I'm I can't really say whether I will or not." Carrie Lake, the reason why anchor people should never run for office. Now, now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with that. Or and comedians oh. can also run for office and perhaps be president of Ukraine. It's all. I'm and saying. one one quick little question about Carrie Lake: If she does get into office, um, how is she going to continue to use that soft focus every time she's on television? <laughs> you know, is she like Vaseline her face nice. or run around and Vaseline all the lenses of the cameras before she does a news conference? I, these are questions inquiring minds want to know. She'll be sleeping in a vat of Vaseline. There you go. Yes. Just like I do. <laughs> Stop. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. How are you spending the rest of your evening? Is it pizza? Is it uh, what do you what do you order for a night like tonight? Okay. Sandwiches. We're going on. We're going to be on air in another hour, uh, getting ready to you know, do this kind of thing as well with our panel, and so with JD Schulten from Iowa is going to come and share some thoughts on on just how extreme Iowa has become, uh, and you know get some thoughts on you know as we watch the results come in and hope. I uh, know some key races that I'm watching. One of the big ones for me is in Ohio. I'd love to see Tim Ryan uh, as the senator from that state. It'd be great to have Sherrod Brown and Tim Ryan and Bob Casey and John Fetterman in the Senate. Uh, I would love to see that. Thank you so much for joining us, Rick. And uh, we'll, uh, everyone tune in to hear Rick tomorrow night. Uh, we'll be on tonight until 10. Uh, but also, if you want to click over and see how they're doing over there, uh, Rick, where can folks find your show live tonight? Uh, TheRickSmithShow.com or follow us on Twitter. We do that, the Facebook, all, you know, the YouTubes, all that stuff. Have, have Rick's <laughs> show on, our show on. Me and Joan will be here till 10. Uh, we've got Hal Sparks, John Fuglesang coming up. A lot of folks we want to check in with. And, of course, you can always have Rick Smith. Just play both of us. We're all, all on the apps. Have a yes. great night, Rick. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Let's take a break here. When we come back, Jonas Bazito and I will continue our election night coverage. Coming up at, uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be joined by John Fuglesang. And later on, we'll be joined by Mike Crute from Wisconsin to hear about how it's going up there. More after this on the Heartland Signal and our election night coverage on WCPT 820.
Tonight's election coverage on WCBT is sponsored by Fazio Insurance. Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties. Since 1953, the Fazio Insurance name has been trusted by the community to offer unparalleled service and competitive quotes to clients throughout the state of Illinois. For more information, contact Paul Fazio at 815-727-2611 or check them out on their website, fazioinsurance.com. Hi, welcome back to our coverage of election night. Thank you so much for spending part of your evening with us. I'm Joan Esposito. I am joined by the lovely Patty Vasquez. Uh, Tim Hogan, our executive editor, is running in and out with numbers as we get them. By the way, uh, ABC is uh, calling the governor's race in Ohio. They are saying the projected winner in that race is the Republican incumbent Mike DeWine in the, in the race for uh, governor of Ohio. Uh, we have a lot of guests who we are talking to tonight. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the WCPT Airwaves, John Fugelsang. You can hear him on Sirius XM. You listen to him with uh, Stephanie Miller. You can see him on stage if you were lucky enough to catch the sexy liberal Save Democracy tour. John, how are you doing tonight? Joan, welcome to the beginning of the almost end. <laughs> it's very good to hear your voice. Hi. <laughs> Life as you know it is about to be over. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I just mean this process, this whole okay. process of the midterms. It's the beginning of the end. We won't know for days or even weeks. We have no idea what's going to happen with a runoff in Georgia. But we are on the verge of the beginning of the end of midterms 2020, and that's a good enough reason to be happy. Yeah. And I and as I've said to my listeners, and I'm sure Patty said something similar, you know, people, we got up, we got up, we worked and, you know, pat yourself on the back. You know, you did what you could to fight for democracy. It is not something that is over. It is going to continue. But I'm so proud of so many people who did so much. Me too. Me too. And again, you know what? When you consider how badly the Democrats should have been shellacked historically in this campaign, Mm -hmm. I mean, the incumbent president always gets it unless there's a terrorist attack in your bush. Um, When you consider what he's been up against for the last two years with, you know, this completely divided Senate and two Democratic senators who are taking tons of money from GOP donors to stop any kind of progress in the country. Uh, You know, it's remarkable he's accomplished as much as he has. And if Biden gets nothing done after this, he'll go down in history as one of the most consequential presidents ever for the sheer amount of stuff he was able to move under almost impossible conditions. It's not over yet, of course. They might not take the Senate. But, you know, I I refuse to be down about this. I refuse to be despondent. I think despondency is privilege. I don't think anybody should let any Republicans see them being sad or angry or upset. If you need to go away and be sad, be sad, but then get back in the game. Because whatever we're fighting for today, we're still going to be fighting for it next week, regardless of how these midterms play out. And that's one of the things, too, is, uh, you know, it's, it, it is that danger of we're fine or, or that, well, they won. And, and now what do we do in that hand wringing? You're right. I mean, like, here's the thing. We didn't uh, maintain the energy when it came before Roe v. Wade was decided. Uh, a lot of us just figured we allowed the lies to penetrate the lie that uh, don't worry, it's all precedent. We're not going to do anything. And the, the whatever rage or disappointment you have tonight, it has has to be something that we turn into energy and focus tomorrow, don't you think? I think so as well, yeah. I mean, look, these challenges aren't going to go away. Everything we're fighting for now, we'll be fighting for when we're old. When we're old and gray, 
we're still going to be fighting against these fascists and racists and regressives for women's rights, for children, for immigrants. We're still going to be fighting for LGBT equality, for health care, for better education. We're still going to be fighting against an agenda dictated by billionaires. That's always been the struggle of America since a bunch of white men who were wealthy decided only they should be allowed to vote. And from then on, it's been nonstop. It's just been this over and over again. We're, we're always in this struggle not against conservative versus liberal, but it's always aristocracy versus democracy. And so, look, America gets it right eventually. Will it be bad if the GOP takes both houses of Congress? Yes, it will be bad. But will it be the end of the world? No, because we have to remember something really important, which is that our fascists historically have been extremely stupid and ineffective. And never forget that. Bush and Cheney, Trump, Mitch McConnell, our fascists are really bad at ruling. So they're not going to get away with most of what they're going to get away from. With They're not going to do anything for the non-millionaire white people who voted for them. All they're going to do is give them more rumbridge and tell them more who they should be offended by. Oh, those trans children. Oh, those, those war refugees. They're the ones who outsourced your job to China. Yeah, that's it. Trans kids who want to use a bathroom they feel comfortable in. That's the reason why your, your gas has gone up. You know, all they have is lies and fear. The truth will out. They're horrifying to their kids. And the reality is not going to change. The American people have chosen the Democratic candidate in seven of the last eight presidential elections. They are dying off these Republicans. But white people will be a minority in this country by 2045. They're terrified about this. And that's why they're flipping out so hard. But you know what? There's still no problem with critical race theory in public schools. These are people opposed to a living wage and cheaper insulin. And trickle down economics still doesn't work, Joan, regardless of how these elections go tonight. And you made a good point. The new generation, I was talking about this earlier today, the young generation, they grew up in a different world. They're they're not as freaked out about gay people. They think, you know, gay people should have a right to love. They're, you know, they see the world differently. They see climate change differently. And I agree with you 100%. I think what we're seeing now is the complete freak out of people who see the world changing and they can't stop it. And they feel somehow that that means they're losing. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, it's I have a lot of hope in young people. I'm waiting for them to fix climate change and and, and bring us single payer health care. Joan, I'm ready for the women to take over already. I've been ready for this for many years. (laughs) Women, please, we're ready for you. Take this thing over. But in the meantime, look, the, the GOP agenda is still going to be against almost everything Jesus taught. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, they use him as a prop. Their agenda is still profoundly against everything he stood for. And that makes me happy because the majority of Americans oppose the GOP, which tells me the majority of Americans have a better moral compass. We have to get them out to vote. But they have no solutions beyond cutting more taxes for the wealthy and blaming the most powerful people in society and being blindly obedient to this racist reality TV show landlord. So, you know what? Uh, the part of me that that the part of me that's an American weeps for democracy. The part of me that that is a comedian is delighted at all the new evil villains we get to make fun of. <laughs> that's a silver lining. You go, John Fuglesang. <laughs> Look, I know you've got a show to do and it's coming up in just a few minutes. So we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your pre-show time with us tonight. Thank Joan, you so you much. Are wonderful. Thank you so much for all you do. Take care, John.
Um, we you. are um, going to be welcoming Lady B. I don't know if um, do we have Mike Crute? Oh, good. Excellent. Um, Mike Crute, of course, is a progressive radio talk show host in Wisconsin, our neighbor to the north. And he joins us now. Hey, Mike, Patty and I want some good news. You got any good news for us? Yes, please. I can I can tell you this. I just left the polling station with my son, who's voting in his very first election. Uh, and it is long lines here in the state of Wisconsin. Now, the Republicans are trying to claim that this is a reflection of Election Day turnout. Well, that must be pro-Republican. But we also are off the charts in early votes. Um, I see lots of optimistic signs in, in the enthusiasm of all voters. When people turn out, Democrats win. That's my, that's my attitude. And I think, uh, you know, history bears that out. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, I certainly hope so. It's it's going to be depressing to think that we could go back to something like Scott Walker, only worse. And that's what Tim Michaels, the gubernatorial candidate of the GOP, the Trump-endorsed uh, Michaels, uh, he certainly offers a scary prospect. Now, Ron Johnson's been one of the scariest senators in the U.S. Senate for the last 12 years. But mathematically, he's an incumbent. If he wins re-election... Uh, there are other pickup opportunities. But as far as the state of Wisconsin, at least those amongst us that like freedom and uh, small D democracy, uh, the the prospect of the governor, Tim Michaels, who assured donors on Halloween that if he won the governor's race, there'd never be another Democrat that won election in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, seemed a little semi-fascist to me, team. I heard that soundbite and I was I was thinking to myself, this horrifies me. I wonder how it hits with the people of Wisconsin. If I win, don't worry, you're never going to have to worry about Republicans, you know, uh, losing an election ever again. Hmm. That doesn't sound good. No, it's a scary prospect. The part that scares me and, and maybe I'm being a worry ward here, team, but I've been driving out state all over the state of Wisconsin, listening to uh, right wing talk radio and listening to the number of appearances. A New York Times reported Ron Johnson spent something north of four days on free right wing talk radio appearances uh, as as hard as you and I and Patty all work to bring relevance to quote-unquote left-wing talk radio the democrats do not use us in the same way that the republicans do yes and over the course of long elective cycle uh they they're they're really they're seeding the airwaves almost entirely to the right we had mandela barnes today twice in the last week uh but five minutes on election day is not the same as 96 hours on the airwaves by the way, we have this uh, the, the clip from Michaels right now, Never Lose. Right here, Lee's going to fire that up. It's all about the acronyms. It's all about LGBTQ and CRT and BLM. I just want to go to work, raise my family, go to church on Sunday, go to my kids' ball game, and the Democratic Party doesn't care about any of that. Republicans will never lose another election in Wisconsin after I'm elected governor. Yay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yay. Woohoo! Oh, 
like the rest of us don't have kids and have jobs and aren't also concerned about the rights of others. Like that's that can't be part of the mix and involved in how we earn our wages, how safe we are at work, uh, regardless of who we are and who we love. Well, team, I got to tell you, um, Patty, the Tim Michaels, the GOP candidate, a has basically taken a stance. Uh, abortion, no abortion, no exceptions for rape or incest. Uh, he's softened slightly on this topic, but here in the state of Wisconsin, since Dobbs, since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we have reverted to an 1849 law that effectively makes abortion illegal. And Ron Johnson, by contrast, his bright idea is that Wisconsinites should head down to Illinois for their abortions, uh, much like we have to do to get our legal marijuana. Uh. Uh, to, uh, to quote Tim Hogan, uh, I'd like to give a little bit of uh, blue mirage and some hope here, uh, some good news in Georgia with 30 percent of the votes in and counted. Uh, Stacey Abrams is currently leading Brian Kemp. I don't have the details on where the votes are coming from, but right now with 30 percent of the vote in, uh, Stacey Abrams is leading by almost four points. And I had seen that Warnock has a substantial lead, about 13 points, uh, first First polling, I had seen about a third of the vote in uh, over Herschel Walker, which uh, I had even seen a Fox News uh, interview earlier today with a voter in Georgia saying I had to abstain from voting for Herschel Walker. I would hope people will abstain, even good, quote unquote, Republicans, for voting for an extremist like Tim Michaels or, quite frankly, the, the worst U.S. senator in Ron Johnson. But, you know, it's an important night here in Wisconsin. Uh, just like across the nation, uh, it will certainly have huge aspects on our state, uh, especially the governor's race. And with uh, with that in mind, in Georgia, with 34 percent of the vote counted, uh, 34 percent of the votes in, Raphael Warnock is ahead 55 percent to 43.5 percent. So let's hope that trend continues as well. Yeah. The only problem with that is I saw that... Some of the uh, the earliest precincts reporting uh, were urban, so there was a caution that you know um, it's great news. Uh, while we, but it seems to be those are those are areas that we would expect to go democratic. So the question is, can we hold that through the rest of the state? There's that's um, that's that's where we'll have to see. And I was, I think I told you guys, I saw this out of the corner of my eye. Matt Cummings has confirmed it. Uh, CNN has called Florida for Marco Rubio in the Senate race over Val Demings. They're also calling uh, the race. They're calling the governor's race for DeSantis over Charlie Crist. That's frankly less of a surprise. I really thought Val Demings had a shot, though. So did I. Yep. Well, good news. Tammy Duckworth has been uh, declared the winner uh, so far uh, by the AP. The race has been already been called uh, with a 63.2 percent over 35.6 over Kathy Salvi. Good. We should hopefully start getting some more Illinois results here. Um, You're back at the studio. Why don't you um, all the people who are looking for numbers um, when we when we take a break at the bottom of the hour, I think, Patty, you should get up and you should flog them all and tell them that we need Illinois results and we need them faster uh, well, than they're that's, currently coming. That's the only race that I can see called so far is uh, Tammy Duckworth's race over Kathy Sylvie. The rest of the, uh, you know, so far the votes are still coming in. The polls just closed 25 minutes ago. But as soon as they come in, I will let you know when I have them. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, Mike, who are you going to be talking to tonight? Uh, who are you going to be talking to tomorrow? 
Well, as civic media has grown, we've we've got a cavalcade of stars. We've got uh, coverage from now until the races are called in the state of Wisconsin. We expect that could be uh, somewhere after the midnight hour. Uh, I've got Earl Ingram Jr., who is one of our morning hosts. He had the uh, he booked Kamala Harris and Tony Evers this morning. Uh, quite a double play he had. He is at Mandela Barnes headquarters in Milwaukee. Uh, I'm going to do two hours in the anchor chair, and then I anticipate going to what is hopefully the Tony Evers victory party uh, at the Orpheum Theater on State Street in Madison, Wisconsin. I, uh, I'm going to ease my way in there as the, as the vote totals start coming in closer to midnight. So it's going to be a long night for you. Yes. I think a lot it's of folks... It's been an extremely long night. It's been an extremely long cycle. The first declarant in this race, in the U.S. Senate race, declared before the 2020 election. We've been having this cycle since the last cycle. Yep. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. I know a lot of folks are watching those races as well. And, and a lot of people from Illinois have been phone banking and doing car caravans to get the word out and, and encourage people to get to, to show up to the polls for Mandela Barnes and, of course, Governor Evers. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely watching your race just as closely as we're watching our own. Uh, you know, what, uh, you know, what other ballot issues, because we have on ours, we also have a referendum for workers' rights uh, as, as a, uh, the number one thing on our ballot. Are there other things that you're watching on Wisconsin and Wisconsin's races? Well, unfortunately, Wisconsin referendums don't have any binding effect except perhaps on uh, raising revenue caps so so schools can fund themselves. Uh, here in, in Dane County, where I just voted, Madison is located in Dane County, uh, there was a legalized marijuana referendum on the ballot. That is uh, not unusual. It's not a binding referendum. We're still under prohibition here in Wisconsin. But I think it had a major impact in the 2018 race where it was on 16 different communities' ballots. And Scott Walker, the outgoing Republican, still blames legal, uh, legalized marijuana referendums. However, I have not seen the same push uh, from normal and groups like that that actually did the hard work last time through. It's on the ballot, but it hasn't been well publicized. The other thing is a referendum, at least advisory referendum, on abortion. Uh, and the question is whether or not the 1849 ban uh, should be overturned here. Um, I'm not sure if that's a get-out-the-vote mechanism. I, I know that's the hope uh, with legalized marijuana and Abortion on the ballot, you would hope that would turn out young voters, female voters, Democratic voters. And I can tell you, here in Dane County, the only way Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes win top of the ticket is if Dane County and Madison overvote to the tune of 150,000 votes or more. That is the wow. only way Democrats are currently winning statewide because it's not Milwaukee anymore. And I've heard... There's been tremendous Democratic resources poured into getting out the vote. Best it's been since 2012, our, our, our people on the ground there tell us. But if Dane County does not overvote tremendously, uh, Democrats cannot win statewide. And, you know, the, the one thing I'll I'm a single issue voter. I'm all about lefty talk radio. Uh, I can tell you we are much like WCPT in Chicago. Right here, we have backfilled what was a legacy, an old Air America market in Madison. 
And this station has effectively been on the air about the last 15 years. And I don't know uh, if I can cast the, the tone of Chicago politics on WCPT, but I can tell you here in my hometown, Lefty Talk Radio is getting out the vote. And if we don't do it, Democrats lose. Yeah, well, you know, turnout and uh, Democratic candidates winning is, have uh, that's always gone hand in hand. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, I'm I'm looking at the Washington Post site and I'm trying to confirm this. Not that I don't trust my love. Uh, Ray texted me that the Washington Post has called the governor's race in Illinois yes. for J.B. Pritzker. Yes. Um, so you know, I'm assuming that's correct. I don't think that's a huge surprise. Oh, uh, Lady B says AP's called it. For Pritzker as well. And WGN so. News, yes. All Everybody's calling Everyone's it. Everyone's calling we'll it. We'll call it, too. <laughs> it's exciting, yes. Well, the coverage there will go rapidly compared to, we'll have to wait until the absentee ballots come in in Milwaukee <laughs> tonight, perhaps midnight or later. It was 3 o'clock in the morning in 2020. But you heard it here first. There will be a dump of 40,000 Evers Mandela ballots uh, whenever the absentees come in, 67,000 city of Milwaukee absentee ballots. My ratio says 80% Democrat, uh, net 60% of that 40,200 votes. If Evers has a lead or he trails by less than 40,000 votes at midnight, when those votes come in, Tony Evers is reelected governor. If he is trailing by more than 40,000 votes, it's all over, but the uh, Dems crying in their beers tonight. Hmm. Wow, it's, um, it's a lot. Go ahead, one, of our, um, one of our election producers, Andy Miles, uh, just texted me that um, Sherry Beasley in North Carolina in her Senate race, it's looking very good. Uh, apparently, she is outperforming Joe Biden uh, from 2020 in every county so far. So um, that's a little good news as we go to break. It is great news, Mike Cruden, the Devil's Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope it's not. I hope it's not a grueling night. I hope that there's a, a lot of high points along with the roller coaster that we're all on together, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Joan. And we are Wisconsinites. There will be beverages. <laughs> same, same. Have a great night, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. And catch up with you again. You're listening to election, the election night special. Jonas Bezito, Tim Hogan's joining us as well. And, and I'm Patty Vasquez. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. We also have uh, Lisa Hayes to talk to us about the Michigan polls, which just closed at seven o'clock central. And uh, she's also the, the managing editor of the Gander. So Lisa's coming up in just a few moments, I believe in just a few moments, as well as Gabriel Pimonte on the workers' right amendment and find out how things are going. By the way, Joan, before we go to the break, I just want to let you know that as of 7 p.m., over 636,000 Ballots were cast in Chicago for a citywide citywide turnout of forty one point three percent. Just want to give you that excellent. I like that number too. Yes, I'm very excited about that. Let's take a break here. When we come back, our conversation continues. You're listening to WCPT eight twenty because facts matter. Welcome back to WCPT 820's Election Night Special with Joan Esposito and Patty Vasquez. Brought to you by Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties since 1953. 
We are going to keep the conversation going. Jonas Pazito on the line with me. This is Patty Vasquez. And I want to thank Steve Lessman for bringing us all the updates. One's coming in right now, Joan. Before we turn to our guest uh, on the phone, we have for, for the Ohio Senate with 29% in, we have Tim Ryan leading 568 to 43.2 over J.D. Vance. I like that. I like doesn't Steve, keep this coming, please. I love these numbers. Yeah, really. Like it. And on the phone with us right now is Lisa Hayes to talk about Michigan. She's the managing editor for the Gander Courier News in Michigan. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing in Michigan? <laughs> We're doing all right here. We've had a pretty good day so far. What what are the what are you hearing from people who are working polling places or what they're hearing about exit polling? You know, we we don't necessarily want to take exit polling, but folks who are campaigning kind of get a, a feel for what's going on at the locations. What are you hearing tonight? Yeah, sure. So uh, most of our our polls here in Michigan closed at 8 o'clock. We have four counties in the UP that are uh, on central time, and so they are closing um, in about a half an hour. But for the most part, we've had a lot of reports of higher than expected voter turnout. Um, I know that there were just over 2 million absentee votes requested, uh, ballots requested, just under 2 million, um, 1.8 million were returned. And uh, the latest number I heard for same day registrations were uh, 12, or was 12,537. So um, higher than expected. And I have heard some reports of townships that ran out of ballots because Ooh. They just weren't expecting such a turnout. So that's great. Wow, news. that is incredible yeah. news. Yeah. And then when polls closed at eight o'clock, there were still long lines in East Lansing, in Detroit, here in Kent County, across the state. We are we are seeing people waiting to vote beyond the close of polls. Outstanding. You know, we were talking a lot about some of the things that are on the ballot. Obviously, uh, candidates themselves represent uh, what we hope will be protections for, whether it's workers or women's rights, uh, families. What are some of the top lines for us? Uh, Obviously, the governor's race is huge. Uh, And what are some of the other races you would like to talk about tonight and what we should be looking for? Yeah, well, so the, uh, the, the Democrats that we have on the ballot are, by and large, relatively mainstream Democrats. Um, a great number of women running this year. And, uh, and on the other side, we've got um, a lot of Trump-aligned Republicans. So that is a really big message that we're going to take away at the end of this, this night. Uh, the other thing is we have, two, we have three proposals on our ballots today, but two of them are potentially game changers. There's uh, voter protections and, um, of course, Proposal 3, which is our abortion and reproductive freedom initiative. So uh, we will see what happens at the end of this day with those two, but we are expecting at least the Proposal 3 um, initiative to pass. It was it got the highest number of signatures of any initiative here in Michigan um, of all time. So that's an exciting um, ballot proposal. The other thing that we are looking at here is uh, control of the legislature. Right now, Michigan's divided with the uh, the governor um, as a Democrat, and then both chambers of our um, legislature are Republican-controlled. We had redistricting here in Michigan, and um, and so we'll, we'll see what what uh, what shakes out with this more fairly balanced um, uh, makeup here in the state. Wow. Um- 
Are you is it too soon to to get a feel for demographics? One of the things that we've been talking about is whether or not we're seeing a real upsurge in the young vote. Yeah. No, I don't think it's too soon. Uh, Michigan, the, the last time I checked yesterday, Michigan was the, the top state in terms of the voting rate for our 18 to 21 year olds. So uh, we had doubled our number of wow. absentee ballots. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. And I can tell you that I've been getting reports from both Detroit and from East Lansing and long lines of young people, long lines of college students. That's something I'm looking at, too, uh, Joe, and these huge lines on campuses, uh, which is it, it is uh, great to see. And I hope it, 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 it makes a big difference because we need these kids to keep their energy going. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm actually looking at some of the returns coming in from Oakland County right now, which is in, in, in the Detroit area. And um, so far, 2.35% um, of precincts are reporting. Whitmer is at uh, about 120,000 versus Dixon, 70,000. Mm, I like that number. And um, the areas that are reporting, do you know that they are traditionally heavily Democratic areas or can go either way or what? Yeah, this area is traditionally Democratic. Um, of note, we have John James and Carl Marlinga in the 10th district, the 10th congressional district. That's a tight race. Uh, right now, John James is ahead. He's the Republican candidate. Hmm. Interesting. <sighs> For your ballot issues, are they are the referendums binding or is that something that has to go through another process in the in regards to uh, voter protections and abortion? These are constitutional amendments. So these are um, the, the voter protection amendment is uh, essentially um, enshrining current protections that we have under under law into the Constitution. And the same goes for the abortion amendments. Um, that is uh, to protect what we had under Roe. Essentially, nothing really changes from what we the protections we had under Roe. It just makes it that we don't go back to the 1931 abortion ban that we had prior to Roe. Just try, I'm trying to get as, many, as much of an update on races as we can, because uh, there's there's obviously news coming in from all over the country. And, and what would you say, uh, you know, the messaging has been because people are going to are going to struggle regardless of what the fallout is, uh, how anybody does. It's, you know, how Democrats messaged, how Republicans message from my point of view and for many of us. It was through a lot of fear mongering and, and basically lies. If people want to talk about how Democrats message, it's that we're not willing to lower ourselves, I think, to yeah. lie sometimes. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think I think that's that's true. And in fact, um, this is why I was saying that um, this race is going to tell us a lot about the state of politics here in Michigan because of the, the large number of election deniers that were running for the Republican Party. Uh, we just take a look at the Republican Secretary of State candidate Christina Cuomo. She recently filed a lawsuit. Um, in the city of Detroit that sought to prevent absentee ballots in Detroit from being counted in the November, in, in today's midterm elections. So it's this unrelenting stream of, um, of pushback using fear-mongering um, that was thrown out of court. But this has just transpired over the last few days. So it's, it's come right up to the, to the wire. And I think that's an indication that they're afraid. They're really seeing the same numbers that we are on the board right now. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, that's when you that's when you try to 
Um, that's when you try to cheat, you know, when you when you see that you don't have the popular stances, you don't have the popular candidates, you have to somehow tilt the playing field. By the way, uh, CNN was just reporting now. I know we just the reason I want to say this is because of, you know, Rick Smith and his uh, doom and gloom. I know there's only a quarter of the vote reporting, but right now in Pennsylvania, I got to tell you, Shapiro is killing Doug Mastriano. Um, we'll, we'll see, you know, I mean, we've, we've all learned early returns are not necessarily late returns in Pennsylvania. We've already heard from the clerk there that this is going to take a couple of days to come in. But I mean, you know, hey, it's better than the other way around. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I think that uh, voters this this time around were prepared, too. We're, we're much more prepared for it taking a few days. In fact, this morning when I was voting, uh, there was an issue with the voting machine, and there were probably 60 people in, in the precinct with me, and everybody was very calm. Everybody uh, talked about... Um, you know, we have to we have to just let them follow their process here. Uh, we're okay waiting. You do what you need to do. Um, uh, really understanding the stakes, I think, of getting it so, right. So, like nobody pulled out their AR-15 and said, you know, this uh, get these machines out of here. They're clearly fraudulent. Nothing like that. No, no, it was it was actually very refreshing. I think we were all tense and we understood the gravity of the situation and the precinct captain handled it very well. And we we were able to vote. So that was great. I know that we were one of 10 tabulators that temporarily stopped working in Michigan. Two of them were in Kent County. And at each of those precincts, the standard procedure was followed to collect ballots and they were fixed. Um, Lady B just texted me, Patty, that uh, Tim is back in the studio. Tim, do you have results you want to share with us? Uh, well, we have. Uh, I know you all are talking Michigan. It's it's uh, very early, um, but it looks like with 5% of the votes in, so let's make a, a bold projection here. Uh, okay. Gretchen Wimmer has got 56% to Tudor Dixon's 42%. Um, you have a lot of places, obviously, still out with that number, uh, but it's going to be very interesting. I just, I heard uh, a, a conversation about Christina Caramo very quickly, and I just want to mention, these are the types of races that... I don't think got nearly enough attention this cycle. These are the races of Secretary of States across the country. It's Christina uh-huh. Caramo in Michigan. It's Kim Crockett in Minnesota. It's Mark Fincham in Arizona. It's Jim Marchant in Nevada. Those are four battleground states in 2024 where if the votes don't get counted, we have a little constitutional crisis on our hands. So I am praying. And as we were watching Michigan results, we'll be watching Christina Caramo very, very closely. Excellent. Agreed. agreed. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight. And and we look forward to talking to you again and and, uh, catching up with everything that's going on in Michigan. Again, we've been talking to Lisa Hayes, managing editor of The Gander from The Courier News in Michigan. And uh, I hope you get some rest tonight and, and do some meditating as well. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Thank you, Lisa. And we're going to bring up now Gabriel Permonte on the Workers' Rights Amendment. Uh, He's a candidate for Alderman as well, uh, joining us. Hey, Gabriel, how are you doing tonight? Good evening. I'm doing real well. How are you all doing? We're doing well. How are we feeling about the workers' right amendment on the ballot in Illinois? Well, I'm watching and biting my uh, fingernails. I, I'm hopeful that we're gonna we're gonna get the sixty percent we need to ensure passage. Um, you know, we had a lot of hard work happening out here on the streets, especially uh, with the unions really understanding the importance of this. On the other hand, tremendous 
misinformation and disinformation campaign, outright lies being published in people's mailboxes. Um, you know, new, things appearing to be newspapers showing up in, news, in, in uh, mailboxes just trying to get people to not vote yes on this critical protection, this firewall against so-called right-to-work um, shenanigans. Luckily, I think a lot of the people who listened to our station realized when they got those newspapers that they were uh, that they were all a bunch of phony baloney stuff. Um, but I'm not sure that's the case everywhere. And I, I was just learning today. Uh, Tim sent me a note that these fake newspapers are not only an Illinois phenomenon, but they're being uh, sent out in. Um, Minnesota and also uh, it was an A state. I think it was Arkansas or Alabama. They were going out as well. So you know what? When you've got a a dirty trick that works, I guess you stick with it. I guess so. It's extraordinary, really. And and you know, one of the reasons I think it's really important that we get this thing passed um, this uh, you know in this election cycle. We had a good year last year. Um, for the first time in a few years, we had some expansion of unions in Illinois, I believe that, uh, you know, people think it's that we can, we can have a kind of a static state. If things are going pretty well, we're doing okay. Don't worry about it. You, this is a strong union state. We're going to be all right. This is a war. This, is an, uh, this battle will never end because there are people who profit from a system that is racist, that is, you know, anti-immigrant, that is, you know, really tearing down the things that are important, including workers' rights. And we've got to always, we've got to keep fighting back and understand that these, as you were just saying, these are people with dirty tricks. We've got to, we've got to fight as hard as we can every time we can to stop them from making any advancements on this stuff. And that's the thing. I was talking to a, a judge recently uh, who has been giving uh, seminars on how we've gotten to where we are, uh, not necessarily just in politics, but how that has affected the judicial system. And she was saying, you know, it, it was never going to be that Democrats should be as uh, deceitful as Republicans, that, you know, we can all hand ring and, and try to figure out how we should have done things differently. But holding the course, fighting for what's right is going to continue to be our, our battle. Uh, and as Joan and I were talking about earlier, it does feel like Sisyphus, uh, our eternal uh, pushing the boulder up the hill uh, <laughs> in exchange for uh, this is just our, our battle to fight and, and we have to be relentless, don't you think? That's absolutely right. And look, the big difference between these two parties, in addition to the obvious, is that there's a forward motion for the Democratic Party. And it's people like your listeners, it's people like me, it's a progressive motion. So the Democrats struggle, let's be honest, we struggle with uh, you know, our history and our own uh, prejudices, our, our own racism within the party. We just have to be honest about that. But we have a big tent with a diverse group of people in it. More and more, we're, we're recognizing that there, you know, there's leadership that we need to recognize, we need to see and, uh, you know, really kind of get behind it and support. We can do that work. There is a direction forward that's going to be more and more effective. The more we embrace that diversity and see it in leadership, have decision-making groups that aren't just, a, you know, all white people looking at each other, but a whole bunch of different folks from different backgrounds, and not just the ethnicity, but also the economic. We can do that. There's nothing like that on the right. All they have on the other side of themselves is a gaping hole with fire and brimstone at the bottom of it. I was talking to LaShawn Ford earlier today, 
who, despite the fact that he is a Democrat, was endorsed by the Chicago Tribune. And I was just perusing their other endorsements. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when they told people not to vote for the workers' rights amendment. But I thought they had a little paragraph of their reasoning. And it was like, it's not that we don't support this, because we do. We just don't think it should be written into the Constitution. And I was like, okay. All right. I don't really get that. If if we do support it, as you say we do, why not? It's completely ridiculous. You know, it's what every single boss and every and every, you know, profit driven company says, Look, we're family. You don't need a union. We'll mm-hmm. take care of you. We'll take care of you. Right. Right. Because, you know, we may have to change things up a little bit. We may have to cut your wages while we Gives the CEO a big bonus. So you don't Mm -hmm. want to make it a constitutional problem for us if we do that. Mm -mm. Right. The the update that I have for you all on the uh, Illinois Constitutional Amendment number one, the right to collective bargaining, with fewer than 1% of the votes in, the uh, yes is ahead 80% to 20%. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, like Trump did, stop the count. (laughs) I agree. In this instance, I agree. I think think we know enough. Yes. Uh, But but, uh, yes, we'll be watching results on that come in as well. I like it. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By the way, uh, just when I ran in 2020 and our first precincts came came in, I was ahead. I was ahead. And and then people stopped giving me updates. (laughs) That's how it works. That was the worst ever. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone got really quiet. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. That sucks. But I'm optimistic about about this. I I think that uh, enough people, you know, when the fair tax fell and uh, Gabriel, you'll you'll agree with this. You know, people, you know, saw the word tax. This is there's no word tax in the this amendment on the ballot. But on top of it, you know, being in 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 the language for fair tax, and then all the lies and misinformation had, a, had an impact. I don't think it's going to be as significant this time. Do you? Well, no, I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing that I think you know is really important: these, these newspapers, this propaganda. People are not stupid, and I think it's also possible to overplay your hand, even for the folks that maybe are inclined to agree with some of you. So there are really has been a hodgepodge of propaganda, not just anti-workers' rights amendment, but also against the Safety Act and some other uh, measures. Mm-hmm. So what happens is it's just sort of like a, um, an omnibus eight paper. You know, it's just like every everything is terrible. And, and, you know, we hate immigrants and we hate people of color. And so at some point I, that just turns off. I believe there's a big middle. There are a bit, bunch of people who aren't really sure. They're not committed Republicans or committed Democrats. They're just trying to figure life out. And when they see something like that, if it's a little bit to the right, they lean a little bit to the right. But there's an extreme where it just turns people off. And I think you're right. I think this is a straightforward amendment. You can literally look the thing up, read it. It's perfectly reasonable. And I think a lot of people are going to vote accordingly. I'm hopeful. We'll see. I'm really hopeful, too, because I know that um, I'm uh, on the local board for SAG-AFTRA. And during uh, one of our recent SAG-AFTRA meetings, Eric Chaudron took time to talk about the not only talk about the Workers' Rights Amendment, but he said to SAG-AFTRA, he said, you know, this is 
you know, some people look at this as a as a provision that affects the trade unions more. But we are a union. We have to support our union brethren. And SAG after that night picked two nights to phone bank and two nights to canvas for the workers rights amendment. And I couldn't have been prouder of of that. I thought it was I thought it was great. I think that I think that the the arguments against this, I didn't realize that the Republic, well, that corporate interests were trying to convince people that the workers rights amendment will raise your taxes. Huh? What? I don't think so. It doesn't have anything to do with taxes, but nice try, Uh, you know, a for effort. Um, So I think that people get it. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, you just pointed out, I think it's also a really critical uh, piece of the story, which is that we, I think we all kind of saw we were we liked the amendment. We were watching a lot of support for it. And then there was some concern. I'll tell you, you know, I'm running a campaign and that's, you know, for a February election. We started our social media early, knowing that we were going to be kind of, you know, falling into this this last minute noise around um, today's election. But we did it so that we could start talking about the Workers' Rights Amendment. And I think a lot of other people, like your union, people said, look, we weren't really planning on doing anything. Let's make sure this thing, let's get this across the finish line. And I think that that, that extra push that came from, you know, all kinds of different quarters is going to be the thing that makes the difference. I do have uh, something to share uh, for the Supreme Court uh, race. In, this is, I think she, this is the second district with 10 percent of the vote in uh, Judge Elizabeth Rockford. Rochford leads Mark Curran 61 to 39 right now with 10 percent in. Yay. Ah, that helps me breathe a little bit more. <laughs> these, because these are rights that are, these are uh, these are also seats that are important for workers' rights, Gabriel. When it comes to the Supreme Court, tell us a little bit about that as well. Oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, we've watched systematically the Republicans have been really trying to dominate, and and have been pretty successful at uh, having tremendous outsized influence on our Supreme Court. We can pass all the laws in the world, but if we have a court system, including the folks at the top who are anti-union, who are anti-workers, it makes it really hard to get anything done. Even a constitutional amendment can be challenged. So, of course, we've got to make sure we've got to cover all fronts. Like I said earlier, it's a war. We've got to, we can't ever stop. We can't let up because they're not letting up. And so we've got to mm-hmm. make sure we've got the people that we need on that Supreme Court. And, of course, for people who don't normally follow the Illinois Supreme Court, it's elected. So we've got to make sure that we've got the right people in there. Yeah, absolutely. And with 7% in the first congressional Illinois race, uh, we have, uh, let's see, Eric Carlson has 4.9% with 7%. And, and Jonathan Jackson has 95%. <laughs> I'd say he's doing pretty well so far. Congratulations to the Jacksons. I'm just saying, I'm not calling it, but that's very yeah. exciting. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's my district. And there you go. Well done. <laughs> and, you know, Gabriel, uh, going back to the Workers' Rights Amendment, I only have one one criticism. And I think rather than the Workers' Rights Amendment, it should have been titled the we want to make sure that we're safe if we ever get another Bruce Rauner in the governor's chair amendment. Then I think people would have gotten it. It's true. I mean, that's really what it's up against. I've been saying to people, you know, this is really a firewall against right to work and right to work is really right to be. And that's what Lana was really working hard to accomplish, is to have a bunch of us in poverty and a few of his friends just reaping the benefits. Yep. 
uh, among other things that he wanted to accomplish, many of which he did by driving our economy into the ground. But, hey, water under the bridge, right, Patty? Mm, yes, water under the proverbial bridge, as it were. I want to thank Gabriel Pamonte so much for joining us tonight. And uh, I, I, we will continue to watch the results of uh, all the races, of course, but we want to see how the, the workers' uh, rights amendment uh, turns out, the vote turns out at the top of the ballots. Uh, so thank you so much, Gabriel, for joining us. And we look forward to having more conversations conversations with you. Celebratory ones. Thank you. So Excellent. Much. Thanks. And, and thanks for your great work. Appreciate you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are uh, we're continuing our election night special. Jonas Bazita's on the line. I'm getting texts and it has, sounds like a, a piano. Sorry, everybody. Uh, this is Patty Vasquez in studio with Tim Hogan and Lady B running the board. Let's take a break here. We'll continue our coverage in just a moment. Chicago's Progressive Talk. WCPT 820, where facts matter. Tonight's election coverage on WCBT is sponsored by Fazio Insurance. Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties. Since 1953, the Fazio Insurance name has been trusted by the community to offer unparalleled service and competitive quotes to clients throughout the state of Illinois. For more information, contact Paul Fazio at 815-727-2611 or check them out on their website, fazioinsurance.com. Welcome back to our election night coverage. It is Tuesday, November 8th, the day we have been waiting for for what feels like a very long time. Everybody said that it was going to be a, a red tsunami a year and a half ago. Well, Democrats have been fighting really hard, and a lot of these races are very, very, very competitive. Here in the state of Illinois, we have called the races for Governor Pritzker and uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth. None of those uh, big surprises. Patty Vasquez and I are joined uh, by Tim Hogan, who runs in when he has results to share with us. (laughs) And we've had a series of special guests. I'd like to introduce our next special guest, Spencer Critchley. Man, I really enjoy talking to. He's the author of the book Patriots of Two Nations, and uh, he is an expert on what divides us. Spencer, welcome to our little election night show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, John. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Always good to talk to you, too. Have you seen anything tonight with these returns that has surprised you? Well, gosh, um, no, because I just because I have been coming into it feeling like none of us can possibly predict what's going to happen. So, you know, if you if you look at the combination of the difficulty of knowing about the accuracy of polls, um, just the uh, turmoil in the environment generally, uh, I was open to almost any results. So uh, I'm not surprised in that sense. I, I am heartened, though, uh, for the same reason it sounds like you are, to see that we don't see a red wave yet, uh, except for a red wave of deliberate disinformation, of course, as usual. But, uh, you know, we see some races that we might have been worried about that still look like uh, Democrats are doing pretty well. And uh, it's very early, but uh, no red wave yet. 
No, absolutely not. Uh, Spencer, I want to introduce you to Patty Vasquez. She is another host here at WCPT. Patty, I don't know if you've ever spoken with Spencer before, but he is fascinating. You should have him on your show. Absolutely. Uh, hey, Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, to your to your, your title, actually, of uh, Patriots of Two Nations, it's funny because I was out campaigning for a judicial uh, candidate for appellate court here in Illinois, and uh, the other person handing out cards kept saying, um, my candidate's conservative and a patriot, as though anybody has ownership on this, right? And it, and and then I was I got a lot of people yelling at me. There's going to be a red wave, and I you know I try not to be that person that yells back. Good luck with that trickle. But <laughs> we it, it, even in front of polling places, I've done this for a long time. Today was and maybe because I was in a much uh, deeper red territory out in Lake County, but there was people had no problem bullying me uh, for uh, campaigning for a Democrat today, and it, it was jarring. I will. I will be honest with you. We're no longer just arguing behind our keyboards or uh, and obviously we see this with school boards and uh, and local races where people are getting almost violent. Uh, And we're seeing are you seeing any of that in races across the country today? Yeah, this is what's most disturbing, because that is at the core of the potential breakdown of democracy. Uh, If you think about liberal democracy and the argument for it, really, in the final analysis, the alternative is violence. You know, liberal democracy is very frustrating uh, in many ways, and we usually end up with compromise solutions. But the alternative is violence. And this is the number one issue in the election and will be going forward until we can be confident again that we have a stable liberal democracy. And I think one way to look at it is the breakdown of a moral consensus for all the divisions in the country. There was... A rough moral consensus. We're, we're going to break in here. I, I am so sorry. Joan and, and uh, Spencer and Tim, we're going to break in right now for a statement from J.B. Pritzker, Governor Pritzker. Good evening. Oh, sorry about that. It was false alarm. It was <laughs> we had a flurry of activity. Uh, continue, Spencer. I apologize. But yes, a breakdown. <laughs> Live radio. Spencer knows it all. Knows it well. Oh, here we go. I'm getting Pritzker again. We guaranteed a woman's right to choose. We balanced the budget, paid all our overdue bills, and got six credit upgrades. We expanded health care to half a million more people. We increased college scholarships for 26,000 more students. And we legalized cannabis. small businesses than ever before, and we grew our economy to over one trillion dollars. Just a few minutes ago, the news networks called this race in our favor. And I'm grateful tonight. tonight that Illinois continues a long tradition of peaceful and fair elections. And I am so thrilled to spend four more years as your governor. 
There are a few people that I want to thank this evening, starting with my wonderful wife and children. Public service is demanding, especially on the loved ones who sacrifice more than they ask for. So to MK and to Teddy and Don, thank you for supporting me in this endeavor. I love you more than life itself. To my running mate and the best lieutenant governor Illinois has ever known. Juliana, I'm privileged every day of this wild ride to have your partnership, share in your strength, and find joy in your friendship. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To my campaign manager, Mike Olin, and our tremendous staff, you are the finest campaign team anywhere. Two of the nation's biggest MAGA Republican billionaires, along with their teams of political grifters, they spewed lies and innuendo, and you showed them that Illinois is a state that stands up for working families and rejects their selfish agenda. To Ann Caprera, who can finish my sentences and almost knows before I do what my instincts are on every policy matter. The depths of my gratitude and admiration are endless. Most importantly, to the people of Illinois, thank you for placing your trust in me to carry out this mission for four more years. I won't let you down. for the fight. Now that's a question that I've ended a lot of my political speeches with during this campaign. But tonight, I begin with it. Ninety years ago, Illinois elected a new governor named Henry Horner, who took office in 1933 during the Great Depression, and when fascism was on the rise worldwide. Shortly after his inauguration, he delivered one of the most important speeches of his. In retrospect, his words were eerily timeless and prescient. Horner said, we all realize that we are living in abnormal and unusual times, times requiring unusually clear thinking and sacrificial action. Do you realize that our vaunted civilization is at stake and the responsibility of preserving it is laid upon all of us who believe in sustaining it? That was Henry Horner's way of asking his audience, are you ready for the fight? Well, when I was making the decision to run for a second term as governor of Illinois, I asked myself if I was ready for the fight again. Because this is a moment requiring a steel spine for the years ahead, as our nation's fundamental ideals are under siege. I love this job, and I've never shied away from its demands. I love you too. But if I was going to serve for another four years, I wanted to make sure that I was prepared to bring the happy warrior spirit 
into this job again. Because leading the fight in a battle ought to bring joy if the purpose is meaningful. Optimism in politics is often dismissed as Pollyanna-ish. But like most virtues worth cultivating, its power is in its humility. I admire happy warriors, and I think of myself as among them. Because here's what it is to be a happy warrior, to find calm when the times are chaotic, to respond to cruelty with compassion, to gladly be the first to suit up for a worthwhile battle and be the last to give up in a difficult dogfight, to celebrate victory but never dwell in it, to laud progress but never let it be enough. And precisely when the battles are hard and the challenges many, that's when the spelunkers for misery feed off the dark fears that people harbor in difficult times. And that is the moment when a happy warrior can carry us forward and says, I've been in this dark place before and I know the way out. Let's be honest, the abnormal and unusual times that Henry Horner talked about are here once again. And just like back then, our values are under siege. But they are worth fighting for. And I will not let our challenges crush the spirit that I've always brought to this job. Facing this moment requires that every happy warrior find a little bit of a nomadic warrior in them as well. Facing this moment means fighting these battles together. Together we must be bold and we must never shy away from our big D democratic or little d democratic values. Together with pride and dignity today we reaffirm what we are fighting for. Jobs that lift you up, not wear you down. A quality education that's not just a prize you win for growing up in the right part of town or being born to the right set of parents. Access to health care that doesn't just keep you alive but keeps you healthy. Better wages that fund joy and not just survival. A world that's just a little bit easier to live in, where it's not so hard to make ends meet. Climate and an environment that is made better for our children than the way we found it. Public safety that brings peace to our neighborhoods, justice to our communities, and addresses not only the aftermath of crime, but the causes of it. A world where public health policy is based on science, not fantasy. One where polio and AIDS and yes, COVID can be eradicated by new discoveries and not just wished away by Facebook fakery. Again, that's uh, again that that is that is uh, that is 
J.B. Pritzker's victory speech. That's uh, J.B., Governor Pritzker, uh, taking a lap of being reelected as the governor of Illinois. On the line with us is Spencer Critchley, the author of Patriots of Two Nations. And Jonas Pazito, me and Tim Hogan, we've got Matt Cummings and Lady B. Uh, Spencer, I wanted to ask, uh, how, what are your thoughts when you hear a speech like that about, you know, it's not in the face of cruelty, have compassion, that regardless of what somebody else is fighting for, we will continue to fight the battle. What are your thoughts on that speech? Well, I, I think it's great. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, um, this is really ultimately where we are now is a fight over what used to be, as I was saying uh, before we cut away, this rough moral consensus in the, in the country where we, we could disagree strongly over politics from libertarians to social democrats, but everybody shared basically the same values of liberal democracy things like equality and the rule of law and basic fairness, basic human decency, but that's what we see breaking down. And um, I think really this is the most fundamental challenge we face. Uh, it's what my, my book refers to and explores going back to the founding and when I refer to this idea of patriots of two nations, that we're, we're breaking down to two completely different worldviews. And um, it's easy just to see the other side as the bad guys, but it's it's really... Um, two completely different ways of thinking, two different moral systems. And so we hear what we just heard from Governor Pritzker, and it sounds to us like, yes, those are just basic core values that everybody shares, but apparently not anymore. I thought it was interesting that one of the things Governor Pritzker said was that going forward, we were going to need a steel spine I would prefer that not be the case, but I suspect he is correct. Spencer, you agree? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. That's a phrase that uh, Joe Biden used to use to describe Barack Obama frequently. And I think it's an often overlooked quality of Obama and the best Democratic leaders. If you think of uh, FDR, I mean, despite his, his disability, of course, spiritually, he had a steel spine. And... Um, I think JFK did. And a lot of this is gets to the question of basic moral character, which people need to feel is in you. And I think, as, as you and I have discussed, Joan, too often Democrats, especially as they become better educated and more prosperous, have become increasingly technocratic, mm-hmm. stuck in their heads. And I often argue, you know, to my own clients and just generally till I'm blue in the face, the co- Democrats are always fighting over the message, right? The content of the message hardly matters. It's the way you deliver it. You know, it's the character of the person coming across as a strong leader. And in our case, we believe a strong leader who stands up for the forces of goodness, essentially. So far, it's been such a bright spot to this Pritzker win, this Pritzker speech. I mean, I felt this way in the primary, right? And it was it was not a real contest, but... He can deliver a message in a way that I think many people cannot. I put him in a class of people like whether he wins or loses tonight, Tim Ryan, where he feels like a normal guy. And that delivery that you're talking about is so important, whether it's him throwing a football in a TV commercial or shooting a gun at a target, going up to it afterwards and saying, hey, not bad for a Democrat. There's a (laughs) there's a value there that I think we can communicate with people if we have the right authentic people in place. And I will just say as well, while 
you know, we are very polarized, and that is a, a point of a lot of, of your work. It does feel good to rebuke someone like Darren Bailey and say, absolutely not in the state of Illinois. Are you going to refer to Chicago as a hellhole and then think you can run the state? Absolutely not. After the Highland Park shooting to stand up and say, all right, let's just we're going to move on here. We're going to have a good parade. I mean, what the, the, the lack of judgment that he had exhibited throughout the entirety of the campaign is just stunning. And it feels good to be a Democrat, to watch someone like J.B. Pritzker win and show that those messages, which he delivers very strongly, uh, can 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 have a deliver a stunning rebuke to someone like Darren Bailey. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think Tim Ryan is a great reference. I don't know if you folks saw his appearance at the Fox News town hall. Yes. A week or so ago. And again, it's really not so much so much what you're saying. And this, again, Democrats fuss and fuss and fuss over getting the policy exactly right. But what Tim Ryan did was he showed people he had that steel spine. He got a lot of loud boos at one point, and he, and he just stood up, and he made his point and said he wasn't backing down, not in a, you know, not in a hostile way at all, mm-hmm. but showing that he has that backbone, and he ended up being, getting a big round of applause because that's really ultimately what voters of all kinds are looking for. Ultimately, it's a very primordial choice. You know, it goes back in our evolutionary history. We're looking for the strong leader who will protect the troop, basically. Right. And it's also a question of how we frame things that we talk about to voters. And this, I don't want to get too, like you're saying, we get too technocratic, we get too in our heads, because I agree with you, absolutely. It's about some simplistic delivery and identifying with people. But I think the way Tim Ryan addressed a question about gas prices in that town hall was very good, too, which is, look, these retailers, these refiners, these producers, we know they're all making record profits. And I think that's unfair. I think that's unfair, and I think that they should have to pay more. And there was there was applause for that as well, because people don't like getting screwed over. They want to feel like someone's on their side. And that is a message that I feel like Democrats, we always try to figure out how we communicate it, that we're on the side of the little guy, that we have their backs, versus giant multinational corporations that are turning a record profit. And I feel like there is a populist economic message that is always popular. It's always popular that I think sometimes we forget that we need to hammer. Yeah. yeah, it's the values first. You know, if you you need to find those shared values with your audience and they're almost always there and show them, you know, what those values are and that that's what you care about. And don't come at them with with all the details as if they're going to be, you know, persuaded by a PowerPoint presentation. Right. Yeah, really. Oh, get out of your head and get into your heart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that we've uh, we've been pushed back a little bit with our schedule because we went to uh, Governor Pritzker's victory speech. Uh, he has it's been it, the race has been called. I don't know if Darren Bailey has conceded or, or called the governor yet. Great oh no, we just lost Pat. I was going to say uh, Pat uh, Kreitlow, who's uh, on the line with us from Up North News. Uh, we're going to take a break here, Spencer. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Let folks know where they can find your book, Patriot. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, my apologies. Patriots of Two Nations. Patriots of Two Nations. Yes, I have it memorized. Patriots of Two Nations. <laughs> yes, if you go to Amazon uh, or bookshop.org and search for Patriots of Two Nations, it'll come up uh, or just Google it. And uh, I hope everybody will read it. Uh, I think it's still current. And I, I'm sorry to say a lot of what I uh, talked about in the book is turning out to be all too true right now. But uh, there's also reasons for hope to be found in there as well, including some of the things we were just talking about. 
out. Sensor, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight. Um, we're going to take a real quick break. Uh, Jill Wine Banks is currently at an airport, but she's waiting to board her plane so she can talk to us the minute we come back from this break. So let's get to it. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Welcome back to WCPT 820's Election Night Special with Joan Esposito and Patty Vasquez. Brought to you by Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties since 1953. This is Patty Vasquez, and Jess Pazito joins me. We have Tim Hogan in studio, who is uh, bringing us updates regularly. And on the line with us at an airport waiting to board her plane is the Watergate girl, one of the prosecutors in the Watergate scandal, Jill Winebanks, joins us. Hey, Jill, how are you doing tonight? I'm blessed to be here. What What are you here? Well, first of all, where are you headed on a night like this? <laughs> You're like, I gotta get out of here. I'm headed back to O'Hare from <laughs> Minneapolis. Outstanding. What are you hearing from folks? Uh, it, I'm trying to figure out, like, you, Tim Hogan, of course, from Minnesota, I'm guessing following a lot of these races yeah. as well. What's the, what's the energy like in Minnesota? Uh, well, the only thing I'm hearing is that Keith Ellison could be having a closer race than one would hope for. Um, but everybody thinks he's going to ultimately be the, the winner. So I think, um, and everybody thinks the governor is going to prevail. So, I think it's going to be a good night in Minnesota, and uh, it's, it's early before it seems to say it's going to be a good night in Illinois as well. Yeah, yeah. well, it's already a good night here. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be. I mean, it looks looks good for Governor Pritzker. For- Looking at the uh, the results in Minnesota, so um, you know we are we are literally just getting these in. It's another situation of you know one percent of votes in. So we can't tell you a lot what the numbers. Uh, the race for governor is between Tim Walz, who's the incumbent Democrat, and Scott Jensen, who is his Republican challenger. It's like forty eight, forty seven right now, but those those numbers don't really mean anything. But this is another case of a top of the ticket race, gubernatorial race, where you had someone win a Republican primary that is just like the fringe. Of the fringe of this party, Dr. Scott Jensen was a big ivermectin fan. Has uh, you know, which which is 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 wild to think about. He's someone who at rallies said that he had heard about uh, kids at schools using litter boxes in the bathroom. So another one of those guys who's got those rumors. He said he wanted to eliminate the state income tax, and then did not outline how he would pay for literally anything that the state would then do. And uh, when asked, said that if if he thought. Uh, public schools got uh, too little or too much money. His answer uh, was too much money. So um, he he is another person at the top of this ticket that I think, uh, Jill, to your point, is, is going to drag the rest of the ticket down. And we have really competitive races in Minnesota. Angie Craig and Dean Phillips in the second and third congressional districts. So Minnesota, my home state, uh, I, I love it. We haven't elected a Republican statewide since 2006. I'm going to make a, a bold projection now, I know Keith might have a close race, that we're going to hold on to that. We're going to keep that going. Jill, overall, how are you feeling about what you're seeing tonight? Are you surprised? Are you pleased? Are you disappointed? Oh, oh, we, oh. oh no. Very optimistic. I am choosing to believe the predictions of Michael Moore. It's going to be a blue wave. And I don't think that the polls, particularly the late-breaking ones, um, 
mean anything. The only thing that matters really is the election results. And I also think we aren't going to know those tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of the mail-in ballots are cast, uh, are counted, including military. And the idea that the Republicans are saying, oh, no, after midnight, nothing counts. is so absurd. I can't believe it. These are people who are supposed to value our active duty military who are out of the country and have to vote by mail. Mm-hmm. So I I really think we need to wait until they can be counted in many states. Um, do not allow you to even open those ballots and take them out and unfold them and get them ready to be fed into the counter until after the polls close. So, of course, they are going to be counted way after the same day's ballots are counted. And that's why you can't count on whatever the early results are until you get those later counted ballots. Yeah. Well, the clerk in Pennsylvania said, you know, forget it. I can tell you right now we're not going to have any results probably for at least a couple of days. That's exactly right. And it is all part of the same thing we heard uh, in 2020 about the election is stolen. You can't count on anything. Don't trust it. It's being stolen from us. Only these early ballots count. That's just nonsense. And I hope that people will not give up hope. I hope it did not diminish people's desire to vote. I think that's one of the things I worried about. I also, I have to mention, in Illinois, there was a fake newspaper that's being delivered. It looks like a newspaper, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's actually campaign propaganda. Mine came called uh, Hook North News. And it was all anti-Pritzker ads. And it, well, they were ads. They were purporting to be news articles. But as soon as you delved into it, you knew that it was fake news and totally made up stuff. And it worried me that some people might not see the humor in it or the fake news in it and would be deterred from voting because it was saying such awful things that, well, how could I possibly vote for that candidate? I don't like the other candidate, but I'm not going to vote for Pritzker if he's about to be indicted. And it had articles that said that. So I was really concerned that could depress the vote, but it doesn't seem to have, and I'm very relieved about that, but not relieved enough to say that we don't have to do something about this fake news that's being put out by the Republicans. Yeah. Jumping in really quickly there, just with some news out of out of Illinois, and this is not a, a race that we thought we were going to lose, but it's good to hear that there's a projection that Brad Schneider is going to hold on to a seat. It's a D plus 14 seat. It's a safe seat. But I just want to say we covered some of that race uh, at HeartlandSignal.com, where if you're streaming this right now, that's where you are. His opponent, uh, Joe Severno, is, is set to lose. But uh, he's an example of, of one of these extreme Republicans who is running for office, I think, inspired by the Trump wing of the party who who blamed the Highland Park mayor, blamed the Highland Park mayor for the mass shooting that happened there because he claimed that, oh, she knew his dad and knew some things. And I mean, all not true to caveat that very, very clearly, uh, all not true. But but someone who uh, I'm I'm glad to see go down and lose. Excellent. Jill, I know you have to get on a plane, and I thank you so much for delaying your departure so you could talk to us. Yes, thank so, you. Come back to Chicago. We miss you.
Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm I'm actually on the plane and I can talk until the plane <laughs> takes off and they tell me to shut down my phone. And I I'm personally I've been trying to check before I came on air with you uh, about the Supreme Court race, which I'm very interested and concerned about. Is there any early reporting on who won the Supreme Court seat? Right now, the returns are showing that Rochford has 60% of the vote compared to Crown's 40. O'Brien has four. Oh, oh. Uh, 42% to Burke's uh, 58, but that's only with very small reporting numbers, like less than 2% so far on both. It's only less, it's a a tiny, yeah, tiny reporting, uh, tiny numbers reporting so far. Yep. I I won't be relieved until I hear at least 40 or 50% of the vote in. Agreed. Yes. Uh, But it's good to hear the early reports. Yes, it definitely is. Again, uh, Joanne Banks, author of Watergate Girl, uh, thank you so much for sharing part of your evening with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Fly home safe because Patty and I both want you on our shows every day for the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> All right? Well, Fair enough. I'll be, home, I'll be home at 1030. <laughs> okay. Come on in. Fair enough. Thanks, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye, both of you. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, now we're going to be uh, switching over to somebody that uh, you hear on CPT a lot when we want to talk to a journalist who's covering Wisconsin, Pat Kreitlow. He is with the Up North News and uh, reports on all things Mandela Barnes and Tony Evers, and he joins us now. Pat, thank you for sharing part of your night with us tonight. It's my pleasure, Joan. Nice to be here. Um, you're on with Tim Hogan and Patty Vasquez. Um, I know that you've been following all the races, but particularly Wisconsin. What are you looking at right now? What do you feel good about? Well, what I'm looking at right now, the thing that anybody should feel good about in Wisconsin is turnout, which is normally high anyway. Uh, it's just some kind of civic thing that's in our DNA up here. But it has been insane for a, a mid term election, the lines, uh, the crowds, especially at college campuses and in cities, um, uh, Dane County, Milwaukee County, it's as if they they all got the same message that you are your own best hope. Don't be waiting for hope from elsewhere around the state. You'd better get in here. And so, for example, in Dane County, where Madison is, with about 27 percent of their votes counted, you know, Tony Evers, uh, leads Tim Michaels by a 77 to 22 percent margin. Mandela Barnes leads Ron Johnson by a 76 to 24 percent margin. And statewide, both Evers and Barnes have a narrow lead, you know, with 25 percent of the Wisconsin vote counted. But, of course, I'm looking at rural counties as well, and it's, it's a mirror image. You know, uh, uh, up in Marathon County in the, in the north central part of the state where Wausau is, you have uh, Ron Johnson and Tim Michaels each in the, the low 60 percent of the votes, uh, you know, with with half the vote counted in Marathon County. So the, the bottom line is that this time around, uh, it, it's going to be the, the extremely heavy turnout in Wisconsin cities that that could pull this out for uh, for Tony Evers and perhaps for Mandela Barnes, who's trailing Evers. He's underperforming Evers by about two to four points. So far, um, so I mean, it, it is truly going to come down to turnout and those final votes that uh, the absentee votes that will be counted in Milwaukee later tonight. Um, Pat, I'm seeing that with about, or I think it's called 28.4 uh, percent of the vote that's been counted. 
Uh, it looks like Mandela Barnes has a lead over Ron Johnson, 51.2 percent over 48.8 percent, though I know we have mm-hmm. to be cautious because a lot of times the urban areas do tend to report their votes earlier. Uh, how do you think that race is going to play out? Well, we, we have seen how big the turnout has been in cities. But that's also where you have more of a media presence and more of a social media presence. And so we don't know the turnout numbers in some of the, you know, the more rural parts of the state. And it could be, as we've discussed on your your show before, Joan, there, there have been plenty of people that turned out because they were aghast at the Dobbs decision and they've seen enough of Ron Johnson. But we've also had people who never voted before until Donald Trump came along and they said, oh, th- this guy I can relate to. So there could just as easily be people around Wisconsin who haven't voted and now see the need to, you know, ride to the rescue of, of Ron Johnson. So until we know more about that turnout, uh, it's a little too soon to say, but certainly the early indications are that um, voting in the largest cities is going to be, you know, the key to Mandela's success, especially turnout in Milwaukee, especially black turnout in Milwaukee. Pat, can you tell me a little bit about how the votes get counted in Wisconsin with regards to the red mirage, right? I think different states are different in terms of when things get counted. We start blue or we start, uh, you know, then becoming redder. Other states, uh, you start redder, you get a little bluer. Uh, how, how, how is that uh, done in Wisconsin? Sure. Happy to happy to uh, take this one. It, it starts blue, it goes red, and then it goes blue. And what I mean by that is right now what we are passing along to you are some of the larger counties will give you partial numbers pretty quickly. A lot of the rural counties were getting 5 to 10 percent of the votes been counted. But some of these larger counties, like I said, Dane County has got 27 percent of the, the vote counted already. So it kind of gets blue. Now, eventually, more of those rural and Republican-leaning counties fill in, and then you start to see, you know, the the Republican numbers come up rather quickly, and it provides a sense of hope for Republicans watching the results. But as we saw both in 2020 and in 2018, the city of Milwaukee does not run their absentee ballots through till near the end. In, In other communities, You know, they they start opening up those envelopes at 7 a.m. and they feed them into the machines as there's a lull in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Milwaukee, by and large, does theirs later in the night. And uh, although this time around they say they really think they're going to have it done before midnight, but it is that last big batch of primarily Democratic votes in Milwaukee that then end up, you know, either they catch up to the Republican numbers uh, and surpass them, or they they come up short, and that's we've seen it go both ways in in past cycles. Yeah, and can I just I just want to zoom in on that point for a second because that is so important because Ron Johnson has run around in the closing month and weeks of this election saying I don't know if I'd go vote in Milwaukee. My to my supporters, I don't know if we can trust the vote in Milwaukee, but he's doing that because of exactly what you said because those votes by law can't be counted ahead of time and those votes come in late. 
And then they want to complain that, oh, this must be a conspiracy, that this that these numbers change the way. Well, if you wanted to change the law that prevents you from <laughs> counting the votes, Republicans who control the legislature in <laughs> Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania, where this is always a problem, you could just do it. But they're not interested in it because they like this talking point of undermining faith in elections. It is, it is insanity, but that, it's complicated to explain. But uh, it, it, it is the way it is. It is, and it's it's been this way, you know, for for many many cycles. It's just that in 2020, they they took advantage uh, of you know Trump, Trump's you know greed or or you know nefarious plans and concocted this narrative that oh they're they're manufacturing you know they're finding out how big the red wave was and then in the overnight hours you know they're concocting the votes to have a blue wave that that just beats it and of course that's insulting it's offensive it's grotesque you have a tiny handful of republicans who will actually say you know no this this is actually how it works you know my my uh successor in the state legislature a republican named kathy bernier she was actually part of the new york times the daily podcast this morning explaining what it was like to be a Republican state senator, but she's also a former county clerk. So she's explaining to people, no, 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 there's nothing untoward. Here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. But she stepped mm-hmm. down. She's not running for re-election because she's been ostracized by her party for telling the truth about how the votes are counted. Can I add... Sorry, go we, ahead. Uh, we need to. We've got Laura Fine, State Senator Laura Fine, waiting to join our conversation. However, Tim, please join me. I am going to be reaching out to Mr. Kreitlow to get him on my show either this Thursday or Friday. Please feel free, Tim, to sit in. I would love to have a three way discussion with uh, the both of you. Uh, Pat, my email will be arriving shortly. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Pat. You're very welcome. Thank you all. And uh, let's go to uh, State Senator Laura Fine from the 9th District here in Illinois. Laura, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great tonight. How are you? Uh, we're we're hanging in there, I think, pretty well. I don't know, Patty. What do you think? I know my I, I usually don't bite my nails, uh, but <laughs> but I'm also looking at some of these Supreme Court races, and uh, and I did have uh, some good news about uh, Elizabeth Rochford's race. She is ahead with 20 percent of the votes in, uh, counted. There's only two percent in the Mary Kay O'Brien race. So when I have more information, I will let you know about that. Laura, what are you watching? What are you paying attention to tonight? Um, my closest race that I'm watching right now is for DuPage County Board Chair. Um, Deb Conroy, the Democrat, is running against Greg Hart, the Republican. And we have the opportunity to have the first, not only Democrat, but the first woman who is the DuPage County Board Chair. And that would be absolutely incredible and so exciting to see DuPage make that change. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many races like that where we are hopeful and have these wonderful glimmers of opportunity and possibilities. And uh, and we we see are you seeing that the uh, workers amendment is also going to be successful on the ballot? I am hoping it is. I have not seen the numbers on the Workers' Rights Amendment yet, uh, but I've got my fingers crossed on that. It sounds pretty good. Uh, personally, standing outside, you know, these past couple of weeks at early voting and then at the different uh, polling places today, it seemed like we were getting pretty positive response. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it will pass. 
I think that it's hard to explain to folks. I was campaigning today for uh, for Judge Chris Kennedy for the appellate court. And campaigning outside of these polling places can be energizing, uh, sometimes a little bit demoralizing when folks aren't quite so kind. Uh, but that it, it is a great way to have that contact with voters, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for the past months, I've been spending, you know, five to seven days a week knocking on doors and really finding out what 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 issues are important to the voters in my district. And voters are really excited and willing to engage and are just happy to hear that people are interested in what their concerns are. And we saw that at the polling places as well, that they're just happy to see their elected, elected officials, that their elected officials are engaged, that we have this volunteer base who really wants to work with our community. It's very empowering. And I mean, personally, I love an election day. <laughs> and this has been a really exciting one. Um, you know, voter turnout in early voting was absolutely incredible in my area. Uh, yesterday, there were lines at all the early voting sites. And I thought, well, that means today we're not going to see as many people come to vote. And it was completely the opposite. There was a steady stream of people, you know, all over the district throughout the day today. And it just shows you that people want their voices to be heard. And today we can say we are being heard. Um, Do you have any feel if we've in Illinois seen the young people turning out the way we've seen um, from as Patty was talking, there's all these videos being posted from college campuses in Texas and Michigan of students lined up any feel yet for a demographic breakdown? Uh, really good question. I don't know the numbers yet. All I can tell you is what I saw at the polls today. And I saw a number of kids who came to vote for the first time and a number of college students. And as a matter of fact, we are right now at a, a, an election number watching party. You know, we're watching the polls come in. And there are uh, a number of students here who are so engaged. And I think younger generations really know that they need to participate because otherwise, if their voices aren't heard, uh, we know what's going to happen and it's not good. And so I think they have learned that they really have to participate. So I am so hopeful in future generations um, just by seeing who's coming out. And we'll mm-hmm. see when the numbers come in. But I've got my fingers crossed that our, our, our younger generations are really just going to step up and make sure that things start moving in the right direction. With the governor's uh, victory speech, which a lot of folks are responding to, uh, that it was it was powerful, it was impactful, and I think will energize a lot of Democrats going forward. What are you looking forward to in the, in the next session uh, with this energy behind you? Oh, we have so much to look forward to. Um, first of all, just an a interesting little factoid. You know, I've been in office now for almost 10 years. When I first started running for office and knocking on doors, people would say to me, why are you doing this? Aren't you embarrassed to be from Illinois? And my response was, I want to be part of the solution when we start turning things around. And I've got to tell you, people, when I knocked on their doors, said how proud they were to be from Illinois. And it was so refreshing this year because people know that if you are in Illinois, we respect women. 
women have rights. We respect the environment. We are going to do what we can to save the environment. And I'm hoping as we move forward in this next session, we'll see an assault weapons ban. Uh, we'll see more being done to protect a woman's right to choose. And we'll continue to fiscally right our ship. And under Governor Pritzker's leadership, we are moving in that direction, and we are going gangbusters. Illinois is definitely the place to be. <laughs> well, I live in your uh, district, Laura, and I want you to know that I'm voting a, I am voted a straight Democratic ticket supporting Brad Schneider and everyone else I had the opportunity to support because th- th- of that very reason. I want to make sure that we stay a place where a woman has autonomy over her own body. And we're beginning to look like an island in the Midwest. And I hope we stay that way. We are and we will. But what we have to remember is we are one election away every election from losing those rights. So that's why it is so important that every time you vote, you find out who are the pro-choice candidates so we can keep the pro-choice candidates in office because that's how we are going to protect our right to choose and our right to have control over our own bodies. I mean, talking to young people, I've talked to some high school students who are applying to colleges now, and there are certain states that they will no longer apply to. But they're going to be applying to U of I, I can tell you that. As they should. Because, yeah, they they have their rights here, and they, they are aware of that. Laura, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, State Senator Laura Fine represents Illinois' 9th District. Um, we are doing an election special, Patty Vasquez, myself, Tim Hogan, and all of our special guests that are kind enough to share a part of their evening with you. After we take a break, we are going to be joined by two of our favorite people, Hal Sparks. And uh, a few minutes after that, Edwin Eisendrath are going to be here to uh, weigh in on what is going on on election night. So Hal Sparks coming up. Fasten your seatbelts. It's uh, it's it's going to be good. We'll be back. <laughs> WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. GOP politicians, with the exception of only a few souls, are too cowardly, too simpering to support the best interests of the nation because they're afraid of being called insulting nicknames by a whiny bully. To the fake patriots and their enablers, you don't love the United States if you're not willing to defend it against a man who would destroy it. Donald Trump is the modern embodiment of tyranny that our founders feared the most. So don't lecture us about norms or typical political practices against a party that nominates and endorses anti-Semites and racists and anti-immigrant zealots. Appeasement and complacency do not work. I know my family fled that kind of tyranny and I helped survivors build a Holocaust museum. You know what works? Winning works. When the rights and freedoms of our most vulnerable people are disregarded, 
when the welfare and education of all of our children are under siege, when the guardrails of our democracy, the load-bearing walls of institutions of government, the freedoms that this state's most famous son died to protect are under attack, well then winning is not a luxury but a necessity. So yes, Illinois, I am here and I am ready for the fight. Are you ready for the fight too? Tonight's election coverage on WCBT is sponsored by Fazio Insurance. Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties. Since 1953, the Fazio Insurance name has been trusted by the community to offer unparalleled service and competitive quotes to clients throughout the state of Illinois. For more information, contact Paul Fazio at 815-727-2611 or check them out on their website, fazioinsurance.com. J.B. Pritzker bringing the heat. He uh, handily won re-election tonight. And I have an update on a couple of Supreme Court races here in the state of Illinois with 76% of precincts reporting. It looks like Mary Kay O'Brien has a lead over <sighs> her challenger, 54 to 46%. Uh, she's running against Mike Burke. And with 53%, of precincts reporting. Elizabeth Rochford has a lead over Mark Curran, 57 to 43%. Let us hope that uh, those maintain the Mary, like I said, the Mary Kay O'Brien race already has 76% of precincts reporting. Mike, so those races look pretty good right now. Um, Hal Sparks, are you there? We were having some yes, trouble with your audio. I am. Just talk am, a little louder if we have trouble with your audio, oh. and then we'll be able to hear you. Oh, I'm, oh believe me, I'm, I'm going to speak as loud as I possibly can uh, <laughs> during this. Because, I, you know, I, I love, A, I love the sound of my own voice. And uh, I think it's very important that, uh, um, that I get to say how right I've been all along. Um, while I've been stoically optimistic for the last two years, and everybody's been telling me, no, 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 everything's destroyed. The world is coming to an end. It's coming crashing down. We shall never have, uh, uh, can't have nice things. I'm here to tell you we can't have nice things, and one of them is democracy. So there you go. It's a great point. It's, it's a great point, and I feel like this happened to us. I just want to make the point. We, 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 this happened to us in 2020, where we got early results yeah. from Florida, and we freaked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I don't well, mean no, no. this as derogatory towards Florida, but Florida is not... The entirety of the country. What would you call it? Not something that would just get you fired I, from MSNBC. I'm not going to say it on the air. Say, no, it's a peninsula, and you can take from that what you'd like. Correct. Um, it, yes, it's a dangling participle on the edge of American democracy, and we all hey, just have to out. deal with Tiffany it. Tiffany Cross got fired for getting into that kind of territory. Did she? I well, I luckily I I live stream in my own world, so I don't care. I am I am I owe no one anything. Um, I will say this though: um, uh, when you said people, we all freaked out on uh, when Florida returns came back. I did not. I stayed up all night on 2020 live streaming on at infotainmentawards.com on my live stream, and because everybody's worried, and I was like, "You guys are worried about nothing. This is not going to go the way they Trump thinks it's going to go." I'm telling you, and they're like, "Oh yeah," and I'm like, "Yes, I will." 
will stay up with you all night. And I was absolutely right. And I will be right about this as well. The the redistricting that the Republicans tried to do while it gained them some seats in Florida across the country, it is a wash. Yep. It will not help them in any way. And it didn't tip the scales in their favor. And there aren't enough flip seats in a natural form because they were so focused on what seats they could steal as opposed to which seats they could earn that they ended up um, uh, doing things to the pooch in terms of their electoral prospects. And it looks like we're going to end up with a couple more Senate seats as well. So I'm, again, these people might lead us to uh, what they apparently allegedly hate the most, which is single party rule. Um, with a, you know, a slightly stronger lock on it, because it is a bit of a referendum when this when the sides don't change during a midterm, since they are so expected to do so when they don't, even if they, you know, marginally shift back and forth, if there isn't a swamp one direction or another, that in and of itself is an electoral sign. Yes. Yeah. That I is, mean, it's yeah. it's it's like it's 2020. Uh, sorry. Uh, 2002. Right. Like when when is the Mm -hmm. last time that an incumbent president was not severely punished? It was 2002. And I just there are we're looking at indicators now. Right. And and the night's not over. But, just you know, uh, Gretchen Whitmer projected to win in Michigan. Excellent. Abigail Mm -hmm. Spanberger, which is this canary in the coal mine district. We said this earlier in the show, Virginia seven. And she just won. Biden just called her to congratulate her on a win. Awesome. Governor Laura Kelly in Kansas doing well. Running ahead, Sharice Davids, swing district in Kansas, doing well running ahead. And this is not a swing area, but I do want to make the point that Vermont will become the first state in the country to enshrine abortion rights into their constitution. It passed, and it looks like, knock on wood, Michigan might do it too. Right, and Kentucky's uh, attempt to, um, you know, get rid of abortion rights entirely is failing as well. So even though, you know, the Rand Pauls of the world were automatically called very early on, they, you have to understand they're part of a libertarian streak that protects him. And that libertarian streak alone will keep the government, you know, the, the sort of ancillary Republican-esque independence from claiming, you know, more rights for the government to speak over people, even if it's something they would be for. Yeah. So the, the Rand Paul voters are not going to give the government more power in theory anyways. A lot of them do, but not enough of them to put this referendum over the top. It's so interesting to see, too, how how voters vote when it's an issue on the ballot versus there's a D or an R next to your name, because I think that point's exactly right. And we mentioned this earlier in the show. And in the no, the no side is winning on the no right to abortion in Kentucky, which is like a little bit of a riddle. Uh, But that means what they're saying is there's not not a right to abortion in the Kentucky (laughs) Constitution. Well that, well, that was part of the goal, too. They 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 craft those kind of rulings whenever they're trying to slip stuff through. They do gussy up the wording in a way that it'll it'll mess with the people who might be the, the, the ardent supporters will know what's up. But the people who are detractors of it will be confused by which side they want to vote on. That kind of languaging in referendum, uh, you know, has been going on, quite frankly, since you know, like California. We really cut teeth on that kind of languaging in California where the, it sounds like like you're voting against something when you're voting for it and vice versa. Yeah, I love when the when the ballot gets printed that way. That's why I was so thrilled when I got my mail in ballot and the workers rights amendment was written in a way that I actually understood it because that doesn't always <laughs> crazy, happen. Crazy, you me. know? Yeah. Right. So, we're I mean, we're doing pretty good already. And again, this is early counted votes in the states that do it. 
um, you know, that automatically load them on the day alongside the, uh, you know, and then start counting the daily votes from that day. And it takes them a little while into the night. Um, But then there's a bunch of states where they won't start counting until after the polls close or at midnight tonight. So it's technically tomorrow or at 6 a.m. in some cases. So that'll stretch it out. And those are going to favor Democrats. So if a Democrat is ahead in those areas or even close to ahead and there's still enough outstanding vote, you're going to see basically the networks going, well, we're not going to call it yet, but it's close enough because Republicans there's this big mention, you know, a big mo- a movement among them to show up and vote on the day because you're beating the algorithms, I, a.k.a., you know, the Mike Pillow uh, algorithm talk, <laughs> right? To beat that, you got to show up in person. Well, it got windy and stormy a lot uh, across a lot of the country, and a bunch of people left the line. And Trump had to put out a video earlier this evening yeah. saying, if you're in line, don't leave, <laughs> because a lot of people were, were, A, not that excited and blew it off. Yeah, they really weren't. They weren't motivated like they would be in a presidential one. And it's not him on the ballot. And, and, you know, Carrie Lake isn't enough for a lot of them. So it's it's exciting. It's also, to your point, it, it is such a danger, and I don't know why Republicans do it. I think overall, just because they want people to question the voting process, they want people to have doubts. Yep. Uh, they they play on that conspiratorial fringe. But like Ron Johnson has spent the last month being like, ah, if Milwaukee doesn't, if they're not going to count your votes if you vote in Milwaukee, or ah, don't uh, right. don't vote in Milwaukee unless it's on election day and there's a Republican there watching you do it. It's like, well, so oh, to your point, what happens if it's like really stormy day or there's bad weather and you haven't right. early voted, you haven't it's nailed your ballot in you shoot yourself in the foot yeah and and by the way you're also fighting natural human entropy you're you're fighting the people just not wanting to get their butts up off the couch it is a lot easier to be a slacktivist yelling at the television and tweeting like (laughs) trump does than it is to actually do something i mean even the some people are you know it's amazing to me that it's exhausting to sit down and fill out the ballot on their kitchen counter and mail it in it's like this huge endeavor (laughs) that they go through imagine tacking on top of that going there in person driving across town standing in line knowing the weather's bad all those kind of things why would you set yourself up intentionally with your party to not go there. Why right. Why not, you know, why would you talk your people? Now, Trump's been talking everyone out of voting, period. So much so that in Arizona, they had two people, I saw this earlier tonight, two people when there were those problems with the in Maricopa County with a couple of the tabulating machines, by the way, not voting machines, tabulating machines. There's a huge difference. You fill out your ballot in paper there. They still have it. It's not going anywhere. You were there and you signed in in person. It's not like these people are going to lose their vote. But the tabulators weren't working. So, uh, like, a lot of these folks were basically coming out going, the voting machines don't work. Why bother? Mm -hmm. So they're being interviewed. They just voted. It's so silly. Those people just voted, and now they're walking out going, "It's a, I mean, it's a wreck. Nothing's working. So how many people did they turn away? They didn't turn away, by the way, any Democrats. Not a single Democrat is is going to not go vote because of what that person said. Mm-hmm. But a bunch of Republicans aren't. And that affects Carrie Lake and other people like her. Yeah, it is. It's a form of idiocracy for sure. 
<laughs> I, I do, you know, I, I wonder, I think we still have a, a tough night ahead of us in terms of keeping the House, in terms of right. keeping the Senate, but I feel, I would feel so much better than I did uh, earlier tonight. How, what do you think about the Senate balance? Talk to us about some of those races, uh, Fetterman, uh, Mandela Barnes, yeah. you know, what are, what are your takes there? Yeah, I mean, I I think Fetterman's a lock. I think that's going to be fine. I mean, part of it is because as much as Trump tried to help Oz when he went there for his little gatherings for Oz, besides the fact that he just blathered about himself for an hour and a half and bored the hell out of everyone, the people that were there turned their backs on Dr. Oz when he came up on stage, physically turned around. And that that is that's the MAGA group speaking. That is a chunk of those voters that are not going out. They're not they're not voting at all if they're not. Because that's the one thing about Trump's MAGA voters is that if he's not there or if there's not something specifically they agree with him on that, they're going to vote for a specific MAGA candidate along the lines of a Kerry Lake. They're not going to go anywhere because half of them don't believe it's going to work anyways. And then as soon as today happened, by the way, um, right when they had those Maricopa County uh, issues, Trump started messaging on Truth Social like a madman. Same problems as in 2020. Here we go again. You know, the the fix is in. Well, that's that's not the issue. That's not, you know, in Maricopa County, it was a tablature issue, like I said earlier. But but even beyond that, if you tell people that what was the problem in 2020, according to Trump? They were fixing ballots from China that that had like you know bamboo shoots and and panda poo in them, and then they had they they, they took your votes and they bounced them off a satellite and sent them to Spain and they were counted in German and then sent back to Texas where the ES and S people sold them to someone from Venezuela. It was nuts. So when you tell them that a normal just you know perfunctory machinery problem is basically, okay, that's a sign, the the fix is in. Those folks aren't going to get in their car and drive now. Yeah. You right. just shut down. Anybody who follows that, wherever they're voting, they're going to think, well, it's obviously the cabal, so it's not just happening in Maricopa County. Maricopa is the canary in the coal mine, so I'm not going. So, yeah. A, they didn't like Oz. Fetterman, I think, is fine. Um, the... Uh, I think uh, Warnock is fine, too. I think there's going to be some back and forth, what, you know, same day voting and some of the early count. And then they're going to keep counting a couple of mail and things over the next couple of days. And that's going to favor Warnock. And he's good. Um, I think there the uh, Mandela Barnes has a, an excellent shot. Uh, you know, the the question is, is just habitual voters. It's just Democratic turnout. So mm-hmm. we're going to see, you know, over time whether or not it matches where Biden was. And if it does, we're good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm very hopeful. I think we're going to gain two seats in the Senate at this point, at least one, uh, if not two. Well, I was just seeing uh, CNN was reporting that Kitty Hobbs was um, way up over over Carrie Lake. I guess that um, and, and, you know, Hal, I had to mm-hmm. fill out two applications to get the panda poop ballot. That was a that was a rare right. commodity here in the state of Illinois. I know you have to you go have to, to the work zoo. For that. 
Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> right. You have to go to the zoo. You have mm-hmm. to intern for a little while. And of course, you have to work for the Illuminati for like six weeks before <laughs> you get your special your key code for the door. And I don't know. It's very crazy. I, You know, I'm lucky. I knew a truck driver from New York who, you know, traffics in artificial ballots, um, you know, through the tunnel system that exists since 1842. <laughs> and so I was able to pick up some of those, you know, on the on the DL and pass them out to my friends, none of whom speak English, but and and filled them out in crayon. But the machines don't seem to care. It's amazing. The, <laughs> hey, you, Hal, you have to I, I want to. Yeah, I just want to introduce you to uh, one of our other WCPT hosts. Edwin Eisendrath is uh, joining the conversation at at this point. Um, hello, Edwin. Hi, Edwin. Thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. Um, do you agree with Hal? He, th- he said a minute ago that he thinks we're going to pick up at least one seat, maybe two in the Senate. Does it look like that to you? I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's, been a, it's been a goofy election all the way around. You know, I just saw something two minutes ago that Lauren Boebert is losing, you know, by a lot more than anybody thought. Um, mm-hmm. What a miracle, right? I mean, I have a different take, and it has nothing to do with you know, who's going to win and who's going to lose. It, it has to do with this. Americans showed up. You know, we had, a, we had an yeah. enormous midterm election. And once again, with, you know, a few bumps in the road, like not enough paper, for God's sake, sort of supply chain mm-hmm. problems, we've run an enormous free and fair election, notwithstanding right. all of the whining and finger pointing and nonsense. Maybe we can finally put an end to this Republican. Um, uh, I'm censoring myself because it's not great. <laughs> you know, sure, That's sure. why I'm so quiet. <laughs> Americans and elections. You know, we know how to run mm-hmm. them. We run them well. And they should just stop their damn whining when they lose. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. like, grow well, up. They can't. They can't because it all hangs from Trump's loss last time. This is about an ego attack on Donald Trump from last time. The man, like, cannot, you know, a lot of people talk about Trump being a narcissist. And I've said this many, many times, but I don't buy it for a second. A true narcissist, like, believes in himself, has overbearing confidence beyond all worth. Trump has low self-esteem, masked his narcissism. Man hates his own reflection, hate, has despises women, especially the ones who've been with him, because he knows that they're being either manipulative or ridiculous because he doesn't find himself attractive. So they must be idiots if they do. So this the the entirety of the MAGA movement is about protecting Donald Trump's fragile ego right now. And and that's why the Paul Ryan attack was one of the biggest, um, you know, hits that they took and may have tipped this whole conversation, you know, away from MAGA candidates more than almost anything else that that leaked out. And they knew that Trump will be a loser in 2024, which may have pushed him to decide that he's going to announce, which I don't buy for a second. I think he's going to announce an exploratory committee and not announce an actual campaign. And then he's going to pull it in January when his poll numbers stink. Yeah, Hal, I have an alternative I'd like you to consider, and I wonder what you think about this. Sure. The the dark money, not the the MAGA voters who've been fooled by the fake news, 
that they are mm-hmm. they just get endlessly, right? I mean, these poor guys have been subject to more propaganda than anybody, and I, my heart breaks for some of them. But the, the guys mm-hmm. pouring in all this money, they stand for things that Americans don't like. Right? Americans right. are pro-choice. Americans think the environment needs to be cleaned up. Uh, um, you know, Americans want the wealthiest to pay their fair share of taxes. All of these things, they will never be able to achieve um, the, the guys who pour in this dark money in a functioning democracy. So I think it's mm-hmm. worse than Donald Trump's ego. I think they would rather break the democracy than have the democracy do what it should do and create a different kind well, of yeah. than the one. That sure, like the Peter Thiel's of the world. Absolutely. Yep. The Peter Thiel's of the world, even the arguably the Elon Musk. Um, that's that's his feeling as well. This kind of like faux libertarian billionaire class. Um, the Kochs themselves are old school Paul Weirich, you know, goo goo syndrome. We don't like people voting, folks. But the yep. the libertarians themselves are selling this whole idea. You know, and again, the Republicans run on one basic premise. Government can't do anything right. Elect me and I'll prove it. <laughs> and that's that's it. You know what I mean? Because uh, if you if you're in and, and it's, have gotten stuff done. I mean, Governor, yeah. you know, Governor Evers has done a really remarkable, remarkable job in Wisconsin. He's paid, you no know, question. roads from Madison to, uh, to Florida, practically, in that state. Right. And Christy Whitmer, oh, my gosh, has she done up against, you know, hit squads trying to take her out? She's done a remarkable yep. job. So Democrats are showing, and, and in Congress, the 117th Congress is going to go down as a great Congress. They actually got a lot and Biden is going to, by the way, go down as a historic president. There's no question about it in my mind. There's a lot of like, you know, buyer's remorse about the BS story about Jimmy Carter for years, even though we know that, you know, Reagan was manipulating the Iran hostage situation in an attempt to get himself in there and that there were a bunch of people on the right that were helping him do that to kind of sell Jimmy Carter as this weak and foolish man when he turned out to be one of our, especially one of our post-presidency, one of the greatest Americans we've ever had. But during the presidency itself was rock solid for the most part up against ice skating uphill against OPEC and things on a new arc of American expansion where we were just getting to the point where cars were everywhere and it was, you know, there, we were really getting to that two and a half cars per human in the country and, and the cost of oil really had a major impact on the economy and even affected into the Reagan presidency. That's what the 81-82 story was about insofar as, uh, the you know, the crash and interest rates. So the same thing is true of Biden right now. Biden is going to go down as a historic president. Just the infrastructure bill alone is going to change the face of the country. The CHIPS Act itself is a turning point. It's not just a pivot in American technological influence in the world and superiority in the quality of the stuff that we're going to be putting out, but it also um, just, it, it, it stiff arms China in a way that no one has done since the great opening and nobody had the guts to do during what's been the great closing since Xi Jinping took power. It will yeah, that will be historic. No question is doing something on climate, right. which is, you know, oh, there, there was there was there were there were climate mitigation method like uh, spending in the rescue package that was bigger than any climate spending we'd done 
heretofore anyways, even before the Inflation Reduction Act had that element in it, there was enough just for like fixing areas where the seashore will be affected or where water or flooding was creating problems for the eastern seaboard where, you know, uh, like train bridges and stuff were in danger of being wiped out and wiping out commuting for, you know, the, the financial hub of the United States. Um, you know, they they fixed that. You know, that was that kind of spending was the kind of stuff that was impossible during Trump because there's nothing. The, the, the infrastructure bill, Trump could have done that, didn't do it. The, getting us out of Afghanistan, Trump could have done it, didn't do it. All of these elements, all these little things that we take for granted right now under the Biden administration are stuff that aren't the CHIPS Act itself isn't materially different from when Trump was in office. Like there, there's nothing like, oh, yeah, there was a new technology that broke through and now America do that. Like the shale oil revolution that Trump, what he was like saying, we're energy independent. The reason he could say that is because during the Obama administration, we started doing natural gas and shale oil. That big movement is what made America independent. That's why the Saudis and the Russians had their, uh, you know, turn off the oil spigot and try to drive the price down so they could kill it in the crib. Didn't work. But that's why we were energy independent during Trump, because he he benefited from it. There was nothing about anything that Biden has done that was materially different from the year he took office. They just chose to do the work. That's amazing. What do you say, Patty? I say we just, you know, just let these guys go and don't take any more breaks. And <laughs> you and I can just, you know, hang up Sorry. the earphones and and go have a drink. It's what I do. <laughs> hey, I was just texting Joan because I was campaigning for six hours outside of a uh, polling place for a circuit court judge. I mean, an appellate court judge <laughs> where I got bullied by, a, by the way, for two hours by someone who was just mad that I was campaigning for a Democrat who was pro-choice. Um, but I mean, th- there is there's so much. There are so much great things to talk about, but we do have other guests scheduled for the last half hour of the show. All right, I'll go. I know. Hell, I promise you, next election night, it'll be all hell sparks all the time. I like that, too. Oh, don't worry. I'll be up all night. Uh, Next time, I might be running. Although, next time, I will, more than likely, I will be running for office during that election cycle. So, you might not be able to have me on. Awesome. Uh, So, hopefully, we'll see. I, well, if you decide to run for office, um, I have a feeling you will be running as a Democrat, and uh, Patty it's and I true. will be interviewing you yes. every week. Wait, can we? What? Can I, I just? I just want to ask it. real quickly: Do we get an exclusive on what you're running for? Have you announced yet? Are you going to announce it right now? Well, I was at, I was gathering signatures to run for mayor of Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. then when uh, when Karen Bass decided she was going to run, I decided I will not run against her. That said, there are three open seats on the LA City Council. Hmm. Uh, one officially and two more to come, believe oh, yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and and well, that might be a special election. And then beyond that, um, the sky's the limit, kind of. It depends on who's who wants to stay in their congressional seat throughout California and where I can do to shuffle myself around to do that. So uh, there's a lot of options. But it will be a place where I can have some executive privilege and be able to actually show some work by the time I'm done. As opposed to necessarily uh, federally legislative. Well, when you okay, launch, well, you have to come back and tell us. Yes, please. Well, forget come back and tell us. We're going to give all the shows over to Patty, and Tim <laughs> and I are going to come out and knock doors for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love it. That would be beautiful. I appreciate it. And, and remember, um, just everybody needs to think of voting not as a revolutionary act, but as constant gardening. Take the stress off and just know we vote every two years in this country. Just do it and move on. And then if there's a special election and you have a special issue, you can focus 100 percent on that. That's all. 
Don't stress. Well, don't worry that. about it. We Just got pick a, it up. We have a mayor's yeah. election in February. Right? Yeah, really. Hal, you might wait two years, but we've got another one coming up in three months. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I was saying. Special elections being what they are. But we do this in the, in the country every two years. That's what we do. And it's OK. We just we know what we're going to do. We stick with our you know, you can stick party line. If there's something special, knock yourself out. But it's not you're not lift the world off your shoulders. Take a deep breath. Stand up straight and and vote and then get on with your life. Um, we shouldn't have to white knuckle politics. We never lived in Trump land and we're never going to stay there. I promise. <laughs> Hal, Edwin, thank you so much, both of you, for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Edwin. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. We're going to take you. a break. Cheers. And uh, Patty, Tim, and I will be right back after this. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Tonight's election coverage on WCBD is sponsored by Fazio Insurance. Fazio Insurance, an independent insurance agency serving residents and businesses in Will and DuPage counties. Since 1953, the Fazio Insurance name has been trusted by the community to offer unparalleled service and competitive quotes to clients throughout the state of Illinois. For more information, contact Paul Fazio at 815-727-2611 or check them out on their website, fazioinsurance.com. Sure. We are continuing our election night special coverage. Jonas Bezito, I'm Patty Vasquez, and Tim Hogan are all giving you updates and chatting with great guests to give us updates and their sense of where things are going and how uh, their areas might be doing in this election eve. And joining us right now is Carolyn Bird Salazar from the Kane County Dems. Hey, Carolyn, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm I'm a little nervous, but um, you know I think we're doing well overall. Which race is out here actually with uh, Bill Foster's campaign? I was going to say, I just came out to my car to get a little peace and quiet to speak with you. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> what races are making you nervous tonight? Well, um, it looks like I'm looking at, I'm following the Kane County uh, elections website, um, and it looks like our candidate for treasurer, at least I'm, I don't think these are final numbers, of course, because we know we have to wait two weeks for uh, all of the mail in ballots to come in. Um, it looks like Bill Foster. I'm not nervous about that. That looks like he's in a good position from what I'm looking at. Um, Lauren Underwood looks like she's in a good position. Uh, Jeff Pripisich, who was a first-time Democratic candidate uh, for treasurer, looks like he's a little bit behind. That's one that's making me a little nervous. Um, overall, I feel, I feel pretty good. Outstanding. And we, I'm guessing you had a lot of uh, folks out uh, at polling sites. Uh, what was the reaction for, from people going in to, to vote today? Uh, what was your sense of things? Um, I actually uh, worked during the day. I got some, you know, was following social media. Um, when I went to vote, I went to vote uh, in Aurora at the Vaughn Center on Saturday, and the poll workers there had told me while it wasn't busy that day, they had seen an unbelievable amount of early voting. And so I think that there was a lot of enthusiasm out here. Um, everyone, of course, I know went out to vote. Um, and I know that there was a lot of interest in it. But as far as I know, uh, all of the uh, elections went well. There were no problems at any polling places. Everything went off like a normal election should, right? Which is great news. And, you know, we, we just talked about yeah. this in the last half hour with Hal, and he was talking about how we need to stop acting as though, oh, we gotta, oh darn, I have to vote again. But 
treat this like we're gardening. That it does happen, whether it's every two years for some of these races or municipalities that are more often. How soon after a night like this do you start gearing up and going, okay, where do we go? What's next? Um, for me, probably tomorrow. Yeah, great. <laughs> I, th- I think that. Yeah, I mean tomorrow, right? Like you see, you, I think you celebrate the victories tonight. Maybe you feel sadness for those that you did not win. Um, and tomorrow, you know, there's destinations along the journey, but it is a journey ultimately, right? And there's always another day to fight for, and you have to look at it that way. You cannot give up on democracy. You have to fight for it. So I think tomorrow, maybe we're going to be sad about some things. I think some things we're going to be very happy about. But, you know, you just regroup and you move forward, make a plan. Well, you know, Carolyn, a few minutes ago, we were joined by uh, Saturday host Edwin Eisendrath, and he made a good point. And it's one that you just mentioned a moment ago. You know, uh, midterms generally are elections that people don't really care about. They don't show up for. And the turnout for this election has been wonderful. And I'm not just talking Illinois, but it looks like turnout is great across the country. And that in and of itself is a victory. I agree. Um, I have three, three, my three children are in their 20s. My old actually is 31. And to see that part of the electorate come out is what is encouraging. And if they came, I, I think they're going to come out more than they did in 2020. And if we can really energize that voting block, I tell my own children, you know, if all of you in your generation voted, you could change the, you could change the country on a dime. You have yep. to come out and vote. I've taught my kids from the time they were small. Every single vote matters. It's the least that you can do is to get out and vote. And so um, I feel like they're more engaged. I certainly think that the Dobbs decision electrified a lot of them. Um, and I think when all the dust settles tomorrow, we're going to find that that was a factor in the election. I agree. I do too. And, and the thing is that, you know, uh, fo- you know, there were folks at the polling place that were perhaps of, uh, you know, more conservative, uh, backgrounds than myself. And I try not to engage to more than I wanted to. Uh, but, you know, I don't see a, a huge, I mean, I had one guy say, look out for the red wave. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a trickle, but it, it's somewhere in between that. Don't you think it's not, it's not a red wave across the country. It's not a, uh, it's not a blue wave, but we are, are watching the fallout right now. Right. I think um, last I have actually been away from the television for about 20 minutes right now. I think what I was seeing was what I thought I would see so far. And um, so there was nothing major that I saw. I did see a headline um, as I was sitting here that there were 75 candidates who were election deniers who have already won their races. So obviously that is not good news. Um, I, I always feel like there's a tide in the country. And I feel like this might be the very end of that red tide. And then, uh, you know, certainly if the Republicans take over the Congress, um, I think that, you know, my personal opinion would be that 2024 should be an easy race for the Dem- for the Democrats to win the presidency because it's just going to be, you know, it's going to be terrible and nothing is going to get done. And so, you know, again, we just have to keep fighting. We have to, you know, it starts at running local races and getting Democrats in there and building the party up from the bottom. And I think, um, you know, we have to just keep concentrating on that school boards and municipal races and so on. Mm-hmm. 
Carolyn, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on what's going on in Kane County. And we really appreciate you going out to your car. So it was nice and quiet for this interview. It was lovely. We appreciate all the good work you do throughout the year. Well, thank you so much for um, having me on. And we appreciate it. And uh, the Kane County Democratic Women uh, appreciate getting a shout out. And and, uh, you're giving us this time to talk. And we appreciate what you do. Um, everything that you talk about on a daily basis, you know that you represent us out here. So, oh, thank, thank you. you. That's very kind of you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we have uh, another guest we want to squeeze in before we wrap things up tonight. Cameron Stevenson is with the Arizona Copper Courier. Uh, it's always fun to talk to a journalist who is uh, keeping an eye on various races and can can bring that kind of perspective. Uh, Cameron, you're on with me and Patty Vasquez and quite possibly Tim Hogan. I don't know. <laughs> yes, he comes, here. he goes. Oh, still you're still here. there. Good, yes. good to know. It's planted. Um, um, and one of the things that I was seeing earlier was that um, Maricopa County was saying that it might be till Friday that they have everything counted. What's going on in Arizona, Cameron? Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Joan. Um, we're really excited to be here and then excited to be constantly refreshing our Secretary of State's website <laughs> um, for the rest of the week, apparently. Um, no, but so the way it works here, and this has happened every election cycle for, you know, over a decade, is so the first batch of results we got tonight is um, a series of early ballots that, that the state received. Uh, and Maricopa County received. They were able to tabulate those, count those. We can do that here before election night, and then they release the results of election night. Um, the next couple batches of election results, which we'll get in the coming days and throughout the week, are uh, election day voters. So, you know, the you know 400,000 people who went in to vote in person today. Um, and then the last ballots that we get are the early ballots that are dropped off late. Um, so the deadline to mail in a ballot was last Friday. And so if you went and dropped off your your early ballot, um, it takes longer to count that and verify the signature. So that's why it takes us about a week to get our results. Um, although we do, you know, we already have about 1.3 million of our, our ballots have been totaled. So we have some preliminary, preliminary results in right now. Uh, what are the races that you're paying attention to? And what is there anything special you've got your eye on? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, us along with probably several uh, people across the country are watching the Senate race between Mark Kelly, uh, our current senator, and Blake Masters, uh, you know, a Trump-endorsed election denier who is running against him. Um, as of right now, Mark Kelly has a very strong lead. He's up by he's up fifty-eight to thirty-nine. Um, and current analysis of how many ballots we have remaining states kind of dictate that as long as he's able, Mark Kelly's able to maintain a 10-point lead, um, he's definitely in the clear. Uh, so he's looking really good right now, um, and we're expecting his, his lead to maintain. And, you know, we've been talking about some uh, referendums that are on our ballot here in Illinois and other states in the Midwest. Do you guys have any issues on the ballot that uh, that folks are taking into consideration well, yes, actually. Yes. So, so we have some. We we have a few. There's a few citizens' initiatives which citizens, you know, um, pass around. Um, you know, petition signups and, and and enough people signed on those that they got made it to the ballot. Um, one of those is to get dark money out of politics. It's a requirement that if you donate a certain amount, uh, an individual donates five thousand. 
a large organization donates 50000 they have to disclose who those donors are. Um, so far, that proposition is, uh, is winning. Um, it's looking like it's going to get approved. There's another one to, to limit medical debt. Um, right now, the interest is, is 10% annually, which is a lot. And, and one of the main reasons people file for bankruptcy here is due to medical debt. Um, this ballot proposition would cap interest at 3% annually, uh, which you know, could cut people's, uh, what they owe by you know, more than half. Um, and then we have a couple interesting ones that would actually limit the, the ability of the citizens to pass ballot initiatives. Yes. And I'm obsessed with this. These, just, just, I'm just, I'm obsessed oh, with this. You? It's so wonky, but go, go. I want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, um, there were, there are several of these and they weren't, they're, they're not citizens initiatives. They're ones that the Republican led legislature here. Um, they voted on and passed, but because of the way they altered the constitution, people, you know, voters have to have the final say on whether or not it passes. Um, one of them is would allow the state legislature to change what is on citizens' initiatives. So they can change the wording, they can change the meaning, they can alter what it is that, that citizens originally decided. Um, and that one is losing. Another Yay. one that, yes, so that's, that's a big relief. And it's losing by a lot. Um, only 30% of people voted yes on it. Um, one that's a little more concerning for a few different reasons is Proposition 129. And what that does is uh, it allows judges to, to toss out citizens' initiatives if they have more than one topic or if they have more than one focus. Um, so, for example, in 2016, we had a ballot initiative that was wildly popular, passed by the people, that raised our minimum wage, continually tied to inflation. So we're seeing a big in, you know, bump in minimum wage in January because of that. And it also required mandatory sick leave, whereas we didn't have that before. Um, so the ballot proposition that is on the ballot right now would have made that 2016 initiative null and void. Um, and so it, it's just another way for for the currently controlled Republican legislature and conservative courts that we have to toss out these initiatives that are are the will of the people. Yeah, I just and that this, one is is currently winning. This is a this is a like thing I'm obsessed with because in red and purple states. You often have legislatures that they're never going to bring up raising the minimum wage. They're never going to bring up uh, enshrining abortion rights into state constitutions. But even in red and purple states, those policies are really popular. Right. They were, we were seeing it's it's on the ballot in Michigan. Um, we see, for example, in a state like South Dakota, they are one of the last states to potentially expand Medicaid, a, a very deep red state, the deepest red state that would do so. And so what these state legislators are trying to do is take the power away from people and try to enshrine some minoritarian rule in their constitutions by saying, look, unless you get 60 percent of the vote, your ballot measure can't pass if it raises any new taxes, if it requires any funding. They do this in weird and wonky ways. So they'll they'll do like what they're doing in Arizona. In South Dakota, there's a rule that if you have a initiative petition, it has to all be printed on one piece of paper, and then the font has to be a certain size, and the font size is very large. So people literally carry around beach towel-sized pieces of paper in, Ari- oh. in, in South Dakota to get you to sign petitions, because that is what the legislature did, because they don't 
don't want people to be able to make these decisions for themselves. So it's very wonky, wow. but it's happening in Arizona. I don't. It's also happening in Arkansas tonight that they are trying to limit direct democracy. But it looks like all three of these, which which uh, you just outlined, are are going down. Now there's one that's very close right now with like 40 percent of the vote in that whole new taxes thing I mentioned that you have to get 60 percent of the vote if you raise any new taxes. It's losing 47 to 53, which is good. It's very close. But in a state like Arizona, you need the ability to run citizen-led petitions. Absolutely need it. Can I share some really good... Sorry, I, I, oh, sorry, I just, just real quick, I want to come back to this in a moment, but I just want to let folks know that uh, ju- Judge and Justice now elect Elizabeth Rochford is a claim is declaring uh, project the winner of the second district seat of the Supreme wow. Court of Illinois. That's such so, good news. Very excited. Sorry, that's go, great. continue with the, the reference. No, that's 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 phenomenal. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, no, I was I was going to add on what Tim said that. You know, Proposition 132, which limits uh, raising taxes via citizens' initiative, that's a, a direct result of a citizens' initiative that passed last cycle, where Arizonans overwhelmingly passed a wealth tax um, so that we could fund schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming from what people consider a purple state, that's it was a very bold and popular proposition. Uh, but then it was tossed out later on. And this is just something that the legislature is doing to limit that, to, to just protect wealthy taxpayers at any expense. I want to just give an update, too, on the uh, races that are, are uh, top of the ticket in Arizona. I know we talked about them, but we have a, uh, a message here from Steve Lessman, our decision desk at WCPT. He's the executive editor of the Lessman Ledger, um, <laughs> which is distributed just to me directly from his desk. But uh, the Arizona Senate, uh, we have 50 percent in. Uh, Mark Kelly is leading about 58.1. Blake Masters, 39.6. Obviously, again, this is very early. And then the gubernatorial race, uh, we have about 47% in. Uh, Katie Hobbs at 57%. Carrie Lake at 43%. Really? So we will see where those end up. But that, that's a good start. And also, as long as we're updating, sadly, J.D. Vance is being projected uh, as the winner well, in Ohio. Uh, How? Anybody? I'm from Ohio, and I, I just don't get my state. I don't get what's happened to it. Uh, clearly, it went to hell in a handbasket when I moved away. Yes. Um, shout, unbelievable. Shout out to Tim Ryan, though. He ran an incredible campaign yes. as a populist Democrat, a normal person on the ballot. And uh, I don't think we're done seeing Tim Ryan. I think he's going to he's he is a uh, strong person in our party. Yes. I know. I don't know. If, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to soak in a lot of this information. There's good news out of Arizona. Yeah. It's hopeful. It's, it's, it's mixed. It's, it's still mixed. We don't know how the night's going to turn out. But I, what I will say about what we've seen so far is it is way better than I anticipated. Yeah, because uh, you didn't look good when I came in. I did, I did not, not look. I did not feel great. Oh, I, Tim. Yes. What Patty was saying. Tim was. Patty was like, I was talking to Tim, and he's really bringing me down. None of these projections are on the record, right? Nobody. Nobody no, can just hear me. us. Yeah. Just, just me. <laughs> coming in feeling like yeah yeah no, I, but, but i yeah i mean to to the to where we were earlier in the night to where we are now we have a long way to go um but i feel i feel very good about about where we are me too and I'm I'm buoyed by the Supreme Court win uh, yes. by Elizabeth Rochford and hopeful that Mary Kay O'Brien. But we only needed one. It would be nice to have both. And uh, waiting to hear about uh, Chris Kennedy's race for appellate court as well. What other races are you looking at? Uh, in, in, is there anything else? I don't want to leave anything on the table, Cameron, about uh, any races yeah. in Arizona. No, I'm, I'm glad you asked, actually, because the, the, the next biggest statewide race that we're looking at um, is very much considered a 
a battle for democracy. Um, it's against our former Maricopa County recorder, uh, Adrian Fontes, and uh, state legislature and uh, attendee to the January 6th insurrection, Mark Fincham. Uh, Mark Fincham is an election denier. He was at the insurrection. He proposed several bills to, among other things, uh, allow the state legislature to overturn the will of the voters and select whoever they want to win elections. Uh, whereas Adrian Fontes, he's the one who really helped to build out and make our early voting system more equitable. Um, he handled it during 2020, during the COVID pandemic, which uh, – Nothing short of Herculean. And Adrian Fontes, he, you know, if so far he has gotten the most votes out of any, any candidate in Arizona. Um, and so I think that is a very, you know, again, these are pre- preliminary results. We have several days before we'll know the final answer of who won these races. But at least so far, um, early voters, there was a strong resounding call to protect and preserve our democracy. Um, just in seeing how far ahead he is in this race. And another interesting thing I'll add, if I have another couple yes, seconds, please. Um, is that so far, you know, so in 2018 was the first time in a while that uh, a Democratic candidate had won statewide in any prominent position. Um, right now, in all of our statewide election race, uh, elections, uh, the Democratic candidates are ahead, um, which I never thought I would see. <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's very encouraging. I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic as we do have, uh, you know, we're only 57% reporting, but it, it is a very, very good start. Yes, it is. And for especially for a state like Arizona, which um, one time I would have said was really red, but it is getting is getting bluer by the day. Um, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us, uh, Cameron. Cameron Stevenson is a reporter with the Arizona Copper Courier. Um, guys, um, that's uh, we're running out of time. Uh, Patty, Tim, any last thoughts? I seriously, I can't get over that Rochford one. I'm so excited. Yeah. That, like that was like where my heart was with our Supreme Court because everything else is pretty much moot if we can't hold that. What were we going to say, Tim? Go ahead. I'm just not going to go to sleep tonight. Me neither. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Joan? What do you want to say before we go? Uh, it has been it has been a delightful yes. evening. It you know I knew that we weren't going to have a lot of results, but I knew we were. I was hoping we were going to have a lot of great conversation, and I think we did. Yes. I thought it was great and fun and interesting. Thanks to everybody who gave up part of their evening to be with us tonight. Uh, tomorrow I will be back at two o'clock. Patty will be uh, there at five o'clock, and Tim is always there. So uh, join us tomorrow. We'll see you then.